2: Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio Three CR. Time is just coming up to seven thirty, and of course, that means it's time for the Three CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. This morning, we've got AB Bishop behind the panels. Would you believe? Good morning, Here AB. I am. Yes, good morning. And so, if anything goes wrong, don't
3: blame me. Blame Pam for giving me the wrong instructions,
4: <laughs> or letting you in front to be in front of the panel. That's
2: right. <laughs> we also, of course, have... You all heard that voice just then. We have to welcome back Stephen Ryan, who's been gallivanting um, off in northern climes, in sunnier weather than what we've been dealing with down here. Good morning, Stephen. Good
4: morning, and yes, but not that sunny. Oh, wasn't it? We got rained on quite a few times, which was all right, because it wasn't cold. Oh. So I don't mind getting rained on when it's not cold. (laughs) Okay. Uh, But anyhow, we can discuss my... Adventures, perhaps a little further. We certainly yes. will,
2: yes, because mm. I'm sure you've got lots to tell us. And we also have to welcome Tim Sansom back. Good morning, Tim.
5: Morning, Pam. Morning, everyone.
2: And Tim, of course, you're CEO of the Horticulture Division down at Diggers Club. That's
5: correct, yep. Yep, yep. And I've not been up in sunny climbs, I've been <laughs> languishing in the freezing cold of Dramana. Oh, Dramana, come on. Mount Macedon, Dramana, <laughs> yeah. no competition. Okay. <laughs> All right. You'll win there, <laughs> no worries.
2: Ah, oh, dear. So, what's been happening down at Diggers, Tim?
5: Oh, it's that. It's well. It's winter, so it's that time of the year when the the ground is cold and the the plants are dormant. Yes, uh, but it's the time of the year for us when it's, it's it's seed season. Really, it's planting season. We're in. We're firmly into our seed catalog. Uh, we're. Um, I guess this time of the year when the. The, the shortest day has now passed. The glimmer of hope of spring is on the, on the horizon. <laughs> uh, there might be cold nights and cold mornings, uh, but it's the time when we sort of hunker down and look at our seed catalogues and plan yep. the year that's coming. Yep. So that's pretty much where we're at.
2: Well, no, it's um, also a great time to catch up on maintenance, isn't it, around the garden?
5: Yeah, yeah things are nice and clear. There's, it's, it's funny when the, the winter bones of a garden are, mm. are um, well, they're beauty, beautiful in themselves, but mm. it's also when you can get access into everywhere and, you know, you can clean up and... Um, start to sort of reconstitute the garden for the year that's coming.
6: Yeah, it's amazing
3: not having weeds growing for, you know, just a month. Yeah, <laughs> get not, a break. They're not moving. Yeah, yeah, they're just right. sitting there doing nothing. Actually, do yeah.
4: you know what? That's the one thing that I, in some ways, um, feel jealous of in the really cold climates where they can actually put their mm-hmm. garden to bed for the winter yeah. and they can sit and read their, their seed catalogues in front of an open fire or whatever and just look out the window at snow and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, that's, there, there is a certain charm in it. You could look yeah. out the
3: window at snow recently, couldn't you? <laughs> well, yeah, but, I'm pretty sure but it only sort of last
4: for about five minutes and it's gone. It doesn't do enough. It doesn't It doesn't bed down. No, it doesn't.
5: Because that seed catalogue tradition, that sort of northern European, northern yeah. American tradition, is very much to do that. Fireside, yeah. the mail, mail yeah. order especially. Yeah, and they is get carried like, away, so they yeah. order far more than they yes. need because yes. they've got yes.
4: lots Shh. of time. <laughs> oh, sorry, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, there, there is a certain charm to that. I mean, I wouldn't want to be out-hand weeding in it. Uh, as a nurseryman, I mean, it must be quite difficult in some of those really cold climates mm. to, to really sort of run a business. Yeah. Um, and I'm not quite sure what you do with staff when there's sort of six foot of snow around. No. A lot of tool cleaning or something, yeah. I guess. Um, but as a gardener, it sort of has a charm. And, of course, when the spring does hit, it hits so fast and yeah. so energetically that... Um, you know, you get this real buzz. So, mm. you know, it could be nice to do it for a year or two and then come
5: <laughs> back here. I remember I remember talking once to a it was a a Dutch herb grower who mm. who came out to Australia to try and grow herbs in a herb farm and mm. and he found it far too hard because he didn't get the break in the winter time. Ah. You know, he, he was like, The things keep growing over the winter. Oh, He's used, to, he was used to six or eight weeks of absolute <laughs> You know nothing. Yeah, uh, and he and it was too much for him.
4: Yeah, well there you go. So, <laughs> but the, the upside, I guess, in Australia is the fact that in you know I bought some plants in today; they're in flower. Um, we've got things happening all year round. Really, oh yes. You know, there's no real downtime. Mm. I mean, you know, you seem to just put the last uh, autumn leaf into the compost bin and the first bulbs in flower. Mm. You know, yeah. so it's sort of we have this constant flow of things. In fact, in some ways, where I think we're actually spoilt in this country. We don't appreciate some of the things of winter as much as we could. Because uh, if you go to England, uh, particularly northern parts of England, they get a kick out of just seeing something evergreen and white trunks on birches. I mean, that's you know that's what they get. Uh, but they appreciate what they've got because that's all there is. We are actually spoilt in the winter garden here because there's just too much almost, that we can be growing. I mean, half of our Australian natives seem to flower through the winter. Mm. Oh, yes. Um, uh, and there's certainly plenty of northern climb bulbs and things that, you know, you can hardly call spring bulbs when they're in flower in June and July. <laughs> yeah. um, right, yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, it, it's, there's always plenty to see.
3: And yep. even in the produce garden, I mean, I, I was surprised... Um, We've got uh, watercress and, and warrigal greens. Admittedly, they are in the glass house. But still, you know, I, p- I put them in a couple of months ago and they just sat there completely disinterested. As soon as the, the temperature dropped, they mm. started, you know, going great guns. Yeah. So, yeah, it's quite surprising. Oh, there's plenty surprising. in the veggie garden. I mean, yeah. I've got
4: plenty of silver beet and spinach, you know, so I can always fall back on those greens. Mm. Uh, I've got the first broccoli coming on board. Yeah, Actually,
3: my I put in Brussels sprouts last season. The aphids got to them, so I completely ignored them. And then I went out the other day and I went, "Oh my goodness! I have Brussels sprouts. Yeah. Fantastic!" So well, and they, they're they, a really
5: long they, season crop. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. they're not like the other brassicas where you stick them in in the sort of late summer and they come through. You've got to give them, you know. 12 yeah. months, yeah. you know, right yeah. the way through the season to get a crop.
3: and yeah, no, was pretty yeah, It's, it's
5: almost unfortunate that you do all that time and
4: spend all that time in the garden with Brussels sprouts just for some more flatulence, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> the other and thing I've cancer noticed... Cancer-fighting properties. Oh, probably, yes, cancer-fighting yeah. properties. Doesn't broccoli do that too? <laughs>
3: yes, yeah. Yeah. any of the brassicas. Doesn't broccoli
4: do the other as well? <laughs> yeah, yes, it probably does, but I'm not so sure. Uh, I, actually, broccoli's got to be my favourite brassica, though. Mm because you can cut and come again. It lasts mm. for months and months and months. Um, and it's dead easy. It's got to be the easiest of all the brassicas to grow. I mean, sometimes yeah. I have good cauliflowers. Other times I get slightly mm. iffy-looking cauliflowers. Yeah. They're still edible, but they're not quite as good as the previous lot, and you can never quite work out why. Mm. Um, but it's almost impossible it to please. lose well, so easy broccoli. so now,
5: I think. This is the thing. I, I was in here last in April, I think, and it was the season when – the broccolis were getting going. So people had sown them out or planted them out and the big discussion topic was the white um, cabbage moth. Oh, yes. Uh, And... Now that's non-existent. Yeah, exactly. You had know, to get through that season, and we spoke about this mm. then. Is just get them, protect them for that bit, get them going, and now they're away in racing, yeah. and you're into cropping, and they yeah. just they just do just keep coming. Yeah, and then the very late ones get the odd green caterpillar in them, but that's more protein. Yeah, <laughs> and, if and if they're green, they don't look too
4: hard. No, no, if you don't look too hard, it's all right. Although I have found if you if you microwave your broccoli, they tend to drop out <laughs> oh, into no. the bottom of the dish. <laughs> And and they become wizened up, slightly brownie green things. Well, yeah, surely there's some culinary um, yeah. Yeah. trend that we could well, start. Well, you just whip with. them up and it becomes a green sauce. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear. Not uh, not good for the vegetarians gross. listening out there. But there you go.
2: No, not. When when do you do planning for the um, for the potager, for the spring?
5: Oh, that, or is goes, that, continuous? that goes through a couple of cycles a hmm. year. So we basically aim at two um, two peak periods a year. Right. Um, a, a spring peak, mm-hmm. and then a, a late summer peak. So okay. so that we're working towards the spring spring. Peak now, but that would have been that's planted yes. well before this conditions. It's a bit like we were talking about before, or yes. just then, with the, the brassicas and things which are planted back in. We'll be sowing those things in February, mm. uh, getting the, the seedlings up and running and bunging them in the ground while there's still some warmth in the ground. Mm. So you get that bit of establishment before the ground goes cold. Uh, and then and now they in fact, I've noticed this in the last week or so. We had a, a beautiful sunny weekend last weekend, we did. and I noticed things dramatically change. In, in their growth in that, in that week or so, like I've, um, and they won't do it this weekend no they 'll go into shock for this weekend, but it, it, it kind of you know it, it gives you that glimmer. you get a couple of those warm periods and things start mm. to move again. we mm. don't have that absolute dormancy where things stop, so you get some warmth and away they go yes you know the, the sun on the on the ground warms them up, so in the in the parterre, things are starting to move and getting towards our spring peak.
2: Excellent. Mm. Wonderful. I must go to a few community announcements. Um, first up on, uh, let me see, on the Saturday, the 1st of August, uh, we have Pepper Tree Place holding their uh, their monthly event. Now, this means that um, they've got a workshop taking place. Uh, from 10.30 to 12, they're going to be workshopping Fruit Tree Grafting and Selection Workshop. This is with Craig Castry of... Um, and uh, he's a horticulturist who's self-sufficient on a 600-square-metre block. So the cost for that one is $10. Uh, you can book by uh, texting uh, Heidi on 0431 494 773. I'll repeat that, 0431 494 773. As usual, they're going to have their, uh, their Coburg food swap Uh, taking place from 10 till 2 they've got uh, chair yoga with uh, Trudy Radburn there's a five dollar charge for that one their nursery will be up and running with uh, perennial edibles uh, like walking onions and New Zealand jam Uh, their cafe will be uh, open and of course they'll have the swap table a place to share your gardens harvest tips and questions so that of course takes out takes place out of Pepper Tree Place, which is on the corner of Sydney Road and Bell Street there in Coburg. So that's Saturday, 1st of August. Now, coming up on the 7th of August, the Australian Plant Society or Plains Group are meeting again. Eight o'clock for that meeting, and uh, this uh, time they've got Maria Hitchcock, who's author of Corriers, Australian Plants for Waterwise Gardens, and holder of the National Courier Collection for the Garden Plants Conservation Association of Australia. And she's going to be guest speaker um, on uh, talking about gardening with couriers. Now, the venue is the Uniting Church, corner of Roberts Road and Glenis Avenue in Airport West. Everyone's welcome. If you'd like more details, you can contact Anne. Her number is 9336 three double two eight. I guess you'd know Maria, would you Yes, Stephen?
4: yes, yes. As as president of that august organization. Um Yes, you get to meet quite a lot of the collection holders. Actually, I must get the dates and try and remember to let you know next time. Sometime in September we've got our AGM coming up where we have a ah. big plant auction. Oh, yes. Which is great fun. Yes. I get up there and, and try and take people's money away from them and uh, <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun. So, yeah, so the GPCAA uh, AGM will be coming up in September. So
2: Okay. I'll
4: remind you next time I'm down with the dates and things. I'll yes. get them from Margie and make sure that uh, we let the viewers know because it's a great fun evening.
2: Yes, yeah. absolutely. All right, just a couple more that are coming up. Uh, the Waverley Bonsai Show is coming up on the 8th and 9th of August. This will take place at Mount Waverley Community Centre.
4: Small wonder. Yes, <laughs> 47
2: Miller Crescent there in Mount Waverley. On the Saturday, 10 through till 4.30. On the Sunday, 10 through till 4. There'll be demonstrations, displays, trading tables. For more information there, you can contact Bruce. His number is nine eight zero two. Eight five two nine, and then the following weekend again at Mount Waverley Community Centre there'll be the Waverley Garden Club and Camellias Victoria Show. So this is fifteenth and sixteenth of August. There's a cost of five dollars for adults; children are free. This is featuring the uh, Victorian Camellia Championships and also the Waverley Floral Art Championships. So a lot to see at that show. If you'd like more information, again this time you can contact Linda. Her number is 0412 914 388. That's 0412 914 388. And just finally, one for the diaries. This one's coming up at the end of August, which is 28th, 29th and 30th of August. Um, The Orchid Show and Sale is taking place along with um, a photographic exhibition, and uh, this is presented by the Orchid Society's Council of Victoria. So it's their 22nd Annual Melbourne Orchid Spectacular. Now, it takes place down at KCC Park, which is down at Sky. The venue is the Box Hall Pavilion there at KCC Park, and the, um, the actual address of the park is 655 Western Port Highway in Sky. The Millways reference, 128 J12 Now, opening times on Friday the 28th, 9 till 5, Saturday the 29th, 9 till 5 and on the Sunday the 30th, 9 till 4. Entry for adults $10, there's a concession of $8 and children under 15 are free. Okay, well it's high time we opened up our lines for talk back. If you would like to ask a gardening question this morning, we've got Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Plants, Rare Plants in the studio. We've also got Tim Sanson from the Diggers Club. Um, so do give us a call. That number is nine four one nine zero one double five. Now, Stephen, we had a bit of homework, which Uh-oh. we saved up for you. Oh, thank you.
4: Just what um, I needed.
2: Well, some of it only came in very late last uh, week and we couldn't deal with it. And the other one we've specially saved for you.
4: Oh, all right. Uh, so I'll give without you the hard notice. one. <laughs> yeah, without notice. I'll yeah. give you
2: the hard one first. Oh, good. Thank you. One of our listeners wanted to know where they could get hold of frankincense and what sort of growing conditions it would oh, need.
4: I've no idea where you'd get it, uh, but I doubt that it would grow this far south. Mm. It comes from very hot, dry climates. Right. So if you happen to be in Alice Springs, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> um, but I can't imagine. Uh, the. I, I mean, without a, green, a greenhouse or conservatory, I don't know how you'd grow frankincense this far south. If and, I, hence, it's
5: biblical association yeah, hence with it's the Hence, it's biblical association. <laughs> yes. yes, it uh, would be a miracle.
4: Yeah, and, and I'm not quite sure why they want to grow frankincense. Perhaps they're doing a little bit of home embalming. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but... Um, if they were trying to source it, the only place I could think to try, there's a couple of nurseries up in New South Wales that specialise in all sorts of weird usable plants. Okay. Um, uh, there's the Botanic uh, – what do they call themselves? Oh, God. now I, uh,
5: There's the Botanic Ark.
4: Okay.
5: Uh, might yep. be worthwhile checking out. Or, or um, Isabel Shippard's Herb Farm. Um, yeah. Um, I'm a- Herbs are special, I think, is her website. Mm. And she's up north somewhere. Yeah, it would have to be somebody further north um,
4: um, that might be doing something with it. Um, But, um, yeah, and I mean, from what I know about frankincense, which is very little, (laughs) uh, it's not an overly exciting looking plant. Mm. It's very slow growing. um, And... um, yeah, it was always very expensive, so one's got to assume it's quite hard to process. <laughs> mm. uh, so, yeah, so you'd only be doing it for the fun of it, I should have thought. Okay. Yeah, so, okay. yeah, so I'm not sure that that's a great help, but there you go.
2: Okay, so I've passed you across the, uh, the other questions that came in too late for us to deal with last week.
4: Uh, When to cut back canners? Well, it depends on whether you're in a really cold climate or not. If you don't get a lot of frost, whack them back now. Uh, We do. We cut them back Yeah. Yeah. If you get a lot of frost, like I do, it's actually sometimes better just to leave all of the dying uh, brown slime, as it turns into, on the top because it will help, in fact, protect the crowns. So I don't touch my canners until later, although my fingers are itching to get in yes, there and deal with them. They look a, bit, they look a uh, bit oh, they awful. For a while. Yeah. <laughs> they look dreadful <laughs> at this time of the year. Uh, but we've been getting some really serious frosts lately. I've got Iachromas that have turned into blackened sticks and Wigandias mm. that are looking pretty ordinary and some Abyssinian bananas that have turned to something that looks really vile. Um, but most of those things will come back again if you leave them alone. So in frosty areas, don't touch your canners quite yet, but if you're in a vaguely frost-free area, whack them Back, it's fine. Um, now, we've got when to plant dogbane Plectranthus, when you can get it. Simple as that. doesn't matter any oh, time of the year. Yep. Again, if you're in a really frosty area like I am, a lot of the Plectranthuses tend to be a bit frost tender. So mm. if I were going to plant um, any of the Plectranthuses, I'd leave it till after the frosts were over in the spring. But around suburban Melbourne, if you can get a plant of it, shove it in the ground. Uh, Galtonias. Um, well, Galtonias are a summer bulb. Uh, so they should be
5: around now, mm. I would have thought. Mm. Uh, or well, we they to, were for a while. We've never sold them as a, a dormant tuber. Yeah. We've sold them as a potted, as a plant. potted plant. And yeah. every time you, you can plant them anytime. Well, of course them. you can, yeah. yeah. And, and I might add bulbs are one of those things. People talk
4: about You know, buying your bulbs when they're dormant and planting them, uh, and that's fine. I grow a lot of small bulbs in pots so I can sell them in flower and they can be gently tapped out of the pot and planted straight away. But if somebody's got a bulb in their garden that I want and they've offered to give me one. If they say, I'll lift you one when they're dormant, I say, don't bother, I'll take it now. Uh, for several reasons. One is people tend to forget, mm-hmm. or they can't find it when it goes dormant. That's right. And I have never killed a bulb I've dug up mm. in full flower, mm. ever. And in fact, most of the time they, well, if they're in full flower and I plant them carefully, they'll stay there still flowering yeah. because they're, they're living off the nutrient that's in the bulb. Um, and they come back and flower again the next year. So I've never yes. had an issue with bulbs out of season, really. So, but... Normally, if you're trying to buy them from somewhere, yes, you'll buy them when they're perhaps dormant uh, and they're summer growing, so I'm assuming they'd be autumn, um, early winter bulbs that you would buy from the suppliers. I haven't actually seen geltonias on any- anybody's list for a while. No, I've never seen them as loose bulbs either. Yeah. You know. Which is odd because they should be. I, I, mm. Years ago, I did buy the double-flowered one as a mm. bare bulb yep. from somewhere, uh, and then I got bored with it very quickly, and I think I've lost it because um, uh, it was quite ugly. Um, but that's only my personal opinion. Uh, but um, they're really pretty bulbs. I think they're, they're yeah. something well oh, worth having super, in the border because they've got this wonderful yep. height with these lovely white bells that hang down. And, uh, yeah, they're a great summer bulb. Mm. Super uh,
5: drought-tolerant. Oh, really, yeah. Really yeah. bulletproof summer yeah. flowering bulb.
4: Yeah, and if you've got them in a spot where they're happy, they'll likely self-seed. You'll yeah. end up with drifts oh, of them. Uh, they are really a good We, we bulb. have
5: a patch of the Muppets at Earth mm. uh, uh, with the daffodils. It's been there for years. It back, goes back to Tommy Garner's oh, yeah. day, probably right. 20 years ago. Mm. It just... You know, established itself, maintains themselves, just cut mm-hmm. back once a year after they flower and mm-hmm. they keep going. Yeah, they're, they're pretty bomb-proof. So yeah. I think that's all I think you've homework.
4: covered it. Well Good. done. Well, uh, that wasn't too hard. <laughs>
3: Well done, Stephen. Well, on the line now is Jane
0: from Frankston. Good morning, Jane. Oh, good morning. I have six problems. Is that all right? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I do <don't know laughs> Some very strange things are happening in my garden. Um, I, my garlic, uh, somebody recommended freezing some garlic, and I did, and it didn't work. It's sort of come out brown and softish. Is it still usable?
5: Uh, so when you say freezing it, you mean the tubers or the...
0: the... No, I put the whole... Uh, bulb. The, the, I put the whole bulbs in a plastic bag into my freezer.
5: Right before to plant them or just no, no just, no, to, eat just them. to keep
0: just, them. This was you know when the when I harvested them last year.
5: Oh, I see. Oh, so they were your homegrown ones that you put in the freezer, and they've now yeah, it's come out nice. mushy. Um, yeah. When they're thawed, I would still use them, but I wouldn't leave them lying around. No, yes. well,
0: actually, I did thaw them, but I put them back in the lower part of the refrigerator. No,
5: well, I'd no. throw I them think, out I then. Yes. Once they come out of frozen, they're going to use them straight yeah, away. Yeah, you'd, you'd have to use them straight away.
0: Oh, so I have to destroy all those? Well, throw oh, them yes. in the compost. Oh, yeah. dear. Yeah, you don't have <laughs> to, you know, no. take them it down to the
4: incinerator <laughs> or something. But, um, yeah, they, they'll start to, because they've been frozen and then they've, they've thawed, mm. um, they're dead. And so they will, in fact, start to rot fairly quickly. Yes, um, yes. So if you've put them down in the crisper, I think it's time that they went out into the compost. Oh,
0: dear, yes. And and another thing's happened with my other garlic. Um, some of the skins are a green.
5: No. Uh, so I, the, the, I'm just going to go back a sec to the what, what why you put them in the freezer in the first place. No, no,
0: no. I'm talking about the stuff there. I'm talking about the garlic that I had hanging out. Oh, up. I see,
5: I see. Um, uh, I, I think that perhaps... Perhaps there's a um, – when you harvest your garlic, it's really key that you cure them well. and exactly. that's And that's what storage is about. So no, but,
0: no, but Norma – I'm talking about the garlic from last year's harvest, and I had them hanging up, and they you know, as I normally do, and they were quite dry and everything. But when I opened – started opening them up, they were – the outer skin was green.
5: And when you keep – peeling back? Was it not green? No, no, it was
0: white inside.
5: Oh, I don't think that's a problem. I I I don't have an issue with that.
4: Why
0: would would they suddenly go green? Because they
4: want to. I mean, gardening is as much an art as it is a science, so there's often things that you can't explain that happen and as long as you can work around them, it doesn't matter. I mean, (laughs) I wouldn't lose sleep over it.
0: No, okay. (laughs) So I
4: just keep using your garlic, but yeah, get rid of the frozen stuff. Yeah,
0: Mm. I will. Okay, Mm. that was a bad mistake.
4: Yeah, we don't want you having some sort of intestinal problem (laughs) and having to ring us for (laughs) advice on that one Mm. later.
0: Terrible! Isn't it? I Along love my garlic. Look, I I have a plum tree that's behaving very strangely. Usually, I have so many plums that I, you know, my neighbours don't want any more. But um, the last two seasons, last season I didn't have any at all, and uh, the, and it's this season I have. It's happened again. Um, I can't understand why. Because um, and also, I, I should have pruned it at the right time. Is it? Could I prune it now? Okay.
5: Plums are tough. Yeah. So there's a couple of things I would say there there's a clue in what you said earlier that you had so many plums in one season that you were, you had an abundance yes. and the following year you had none. Yes. This can happen um, with stone fruit is that they'll they bear the like crazy mm. and then they'll get into what's called an alternative bearing pattern where they'll then have bugger all the next year. Oh, pardon my language. <laughs> um, but they'll... So, it seems appropriate somehow. <laughs> they, they can... So that's possible that they... That, that first... That year they, they fruited a lot. The following year it was kind of spent. Um And it also depends heavily on the age and the condition of the tree.
0: It's quite old. It was a self-sown one. And I've always had a lot of plums every year. Okay. And last year was the first time, and then this year I got none again. And I know it should have been pruned after, you know, but could I prune it now or is that too bad?
5: I think on the pruning, the approach that we take, what well, I take with um, with stone fruit is not to prune heavily in the winter time, especially if it 's an old tree. Mm. Um, really the, the, you, you prune in the winter to establish form work and shape yes. uh, and, and when a plant is young, you, you do a lot of winter pruning to get response growth, which then gives you a nice shape mm. and you can control that mm. then once, once the tree's established, work into a summer pruning cycle, which actually keeps the vigor uh, reduced, the tree a bit smaller and more manageable. Uh, and that cycle is usually after fruiting uh, because what you then get is you because they fruit on the previous season 's wood if you if you prune after the fruiting. Which is in the middle of summer, you then get some response growth, which is actually the fruiting wood for the following year. Mm. So I'd be I'd be disinclined to prune now. Mm. It's, a, it's getting a bit late because it's going to be start getting into into bud and. Well, um, I've got plums and, already starting to show colour yeah, in their buds same. at home, yeah. even yeah. At
4: Macedon, you yeah. know, so so that
5: they're really moving. Yeah. So it's probably too late. Mm. So the strategy I would take there is you've, you're going to have to get through the flowering and, and early mm. summer period. That was a
4: question I was going to ask though. Although you got no fruit, did they flower? Yeah. I
0: um. I can't remember. Well, that's no help. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because
4: if they didn't flower at all, um, then... Uh, what Tim's talking about is probably the case. But if they flowered and didn't set fruit, it's more likely to be a climatic thing that happened at the time of flowering. You may have had a seriously cold period and they didn't get pollinated properly. Mm. I Uh, I
0: don't think they did flower.
4: Yeah, well, if they didn't flower, then what Tim was talking about, having that sort of, oops, I've done enough and I'm having a rest period now, is more likely to be what's going Mm. on. Mm. Um, But it's a different thing if they actually flowered and didn't set
5: any fruit. And I've had that happen to a couple of uh, a nectarine tree of mine last year, <clears throat> which flowered heavily quite early in a really cold mm. snap, and I got no pollination. I got yeah. very because there was yeah, not much. My bee plums activity.
4: sometimes do it at, yeah. at home when we get a really really cold snap; they mm. just don't set fruit. Yeah.
0: Well, it, it looks terribly. Uh, it's very big. You know, it's got completely out of control, and it doesn't look very happy. I mean, could it die? No. Nah.
5: Not, not How do you either. kill a plum tree?
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and now I have this Maya lemon that I bought some years ago. I bought the wrong lemon. I shouldn't have bought the Maya. I meant to buy a um, Lisbon. But um, and I, it's never done anything. It just sort of sits there. Mm. And um, I, 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 had, I, moved it. I had it moved from a, another position, and I'm just wondering whether it's ever going to do anything. How
4: long have we yeah. been playing with this lemon tree?
0: Oh, some years.
4: Oh dear. I think I think yeah.
5: your patience is amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um where is it now? Is it in a pot or in the ground or
0: Oh no, it's in the ground.
5: Mm. Yeah. And when was that most recent move?
0: Well, I, I um I had a, a man move he put it in one place and it, I, I didn't like it there, it wasn't any good. So I had it moved to another place. Um I think
5: um So I, it's been a while. Yes. Like I I, I think yeah, look. Enough about, is enough. Sometimes yeah, it might be time to go for yeah. a new one. And, yeah. if, and as you said it, earlier, that your your preference was for a Lisbon, which is a more true lemon. A Meyer is actually a cross. I know. Lemon a, I bought the wrong
0: one. I got I got taken in. It looks. Uh, I was just careless. Yeah, but well, the, the
5: Meyer lemons, are, they're. Um, I would advocate a, a Meyer lemon as a as a, uh, a garden specimen. They're a much more shapely tree. Yeah, they're mm. good to hedge. They're a nice. It, it's, shape. Got, it's
0: got buds on at the moment, but nothing ever happens.
5: Yeah. Well, is, is it is it looking healthy? How much does it grow in the season? It hasn't
0: right? grown much at all.
5: Yeah, I think it's it's yeah, look, it,
4: it knows you don't like it.
5: <laughs> yeah, it's so, sulky. It, it, it knows sulky. you would prefer it was Elizabeth.
4: Yeah, yeah. So look, I, I again, I don't see that you need to spend an awful lot of time worrying about this. I think if it were my Mya lemon and it wasn't doing anything worthwhile and I'd had it for years, uh, it would be in the compost. Yes I and think start again, you know, mm-hmm. go out and buy that Lisbon lemon you actually wanted <laughs> um and, and and move on because you'll be surprised how quickly you'll forget, Yes. while it's still sitting there looking miserable, you won't forget, but when it's not there anymore
1: mm-hmm.
4: so that would be my suggestion you yes, I, I
0: I gave it some um um s- s- fish emulsion just recently i you know I, oh well, i uh,
4: that might have been a waste then really, if we're going to throw the lemon away yes. <laughs> but, but none look really. If you've got something that has struggled for a long time, plants often get into a permanent struggle mode mm-hmm. eventually because they've sat and they haven't done well for a long, long time. They become bark bound. The plant doesn't – it just can't get out of it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at some point in in life, you've got to say enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And if you've had it for some years and it's hardly moved, it's never thrown any fruit, um, then – I would suggest, no matter what you do to this tree, it's unlikely to ever become a vigorous tree again. You're Mm. better to go out and buy a fresh, young, healthy lemon tree and and invest your energy there. Yeah, and yes, put your time and energy into into a good tree, not into a runt that's Mm. not doing any good.
0: Now, I I have an orange tree that has given the most fantastic fruit for the last two years, and I was just wondering: the skin is very thick. Hmm. Is there anything, I, I, I thought if you keep them, the skin's supposed to get thinner, isn't it?
5: it it's more to do with nutrition and plant vigour. Uh, they can often have a thick skin when they're not watered um, sufficiently through the season, but it's also to do with general nutrition. Hmm. And I think... And, oh, it and,
0: has a lot of food. I've given it tremendous lot of food.
5: Do you know what the variety is?
0: No, it it was about 40 years ago. My mother put seeds in, and this is one of them.
5: (laughs) Has has it ever had uh, thin skin? Yes, it it it...
0: wasn't bad. Okay. And it's a bit sour. It's not not as sweet as it used to be.
5: Yeah, it's... I'm wondering sometimes when those things, whether it's memory that changes, you know, used yeah, to... maybe your taste buds are different than they were forty <laughs> because, years ago. Because as a, as a seedling, um, it's hard to know what it should be because it's it, it, and all the citrus that we we that the market produces and the um, uh, market gardeners grow and that we sell through for gardeners are all grafted onto rootstock, so they're mm-hmm. a known Known quantity, mm. uh, so then you know what the characteristics of the fruit should be. Yeah. When it's a seedling, it's a bit of a bit of a bit of a roll the dice, a gamble. A dice. It is yeah. a gamble.
4: Um, but look, I, if it, if it were my tree and you think that it has changed somewhat, I'd probably give it a dose of trace elements, and uh, um, you know that often will help things to sort of balance down again. So that, yeah. that's probably a good idea. Um, if it's fruiting reasonably well and all that sort of thing, a lot of feeding isn't going to necessarily mm. make it any better, um, oh. because in fact it could make it worse. Well it could, yeah. you could push it into, into mm. things that you don't want it to do Like lots and lots of growth at the expense of flowers Yeah,
0: I, I've never had so many lemon, uh, oranges since I The last couple of years it's been fantastic
4: Yeah. Well then don't tamper too much But maybe a little bit of trace mm. elements yeah. might be worth a try
0: Oh okay, thank you for that um, Now I've got a tree fern that's died, why did it die? Not enough water Oh really?
4: Yeah, yeah that's the most likely reason you'll lose a tree fern Is it got too hot and dry
0: Oh, the other one's are all right.
4: Yeah, well, But it's
2: in a slightly different position, Yeah, yes, obviously. It, it is near a tree. Yeah, well, see, the yeah. tree will
4: have sucked mm. up all the yeah, moisture I from think, the root system. So, and mm. tree ferns do... It, a lot of people talk about watering the trunk of a tree fern, and certainly it doesn't do any harm. Mm. Um, but you've got to remember they still have roots in the ground, uh, and they get a matting root system. Uh, they can actually become water repellent. Uh, so even if you are watering, if you're not getting it right down into the root system, uh, they're not getting enough water. Mm. Um, and, and certainly if they've got competition from vigorous tree roots nearby, um, I would say it just dried out and died.
0: Yes, that's, uh, it, yeah. it's the tree that's... How, how long ago
4: did its foliage die?
0: Oh, well, the last few months, I've lost, it, it sort of was gradually, you know, it had one little
3: fern. Yeah, all
4: right, well, so it's, the, 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 tr- the trunk is probably still not quite dead.
3: Mm, They do hang on.
4: Yeah, they will hang on for a long time. So uh, I would make sure you get out there and you soak the trunk and the root system area. Maybe put down a wetting agent to try and get some water down into the ground. Oh, that's a good idea. But also soak the trunk. And when I water the trunks of my tree ferns, I go over them and water them and then go on and water something else. And then I come back and water them again because you need to break the sort of... um, Tension on the tree fern trunk. So initially it will just run off, but if you water it once and then come back and give it another soak, it will get some moisture into the trunk.
0: Oh, that'd be wonderful. So it might resurrect it. Tree
4: ferns are amazingly um, good at at resurrecting themselves after serious issues.
0: Yes, because all the other ones
5: are doing very well. I've seen many occasions where a bushfire has been Mm -hmm. through a wild landscape and the creek line is where the the tree ferns will be growing. They'll all get scorched off the top. But in they're actually the first. They are. To, they're the, the first things to first come. Yes, the prick of are. green that comes yeah. up. Those
4: and the, mm. and and the xanthoreas, the tree mm. grasses, mm. are the first things to show back mm. again after the fires. Mm. Uh, I remember that in the eighty three bushfires at Mount Macedon. Mm. You know, within. It seemed like within a week to 10 yeah. days there were green shoots yeah. coming up off the tree ferns and their, and their whole
5: trunks were completely mm. blackened. But the water is key though and, you, and mm. you know, tree ferns grow in a creek line mm. uh, and it's not just water on the surface, it's water under, under them that's really yeah. providing that source mm. of moisture. Uh, what
0: about water in the top?
5: Well, you can water the
4: top, uh, and that's fine. Some people say you shouldn't water down inside the crown, although I've never had a problem doing that. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a combination thing. You've got to get the water into the roots, but you've also got to dampen the trunk because the trunk is all root system. Yes.
0: Yeah. Oh well, I'll certainly try that. Yeah, so I'd
4: give it a go because there's a good chance the tree firm will reshoot again as oh, the spring comes. Oh, that'd
0: be on. wonderful. Um, and, and now my last one. I need I need a ground cover. I just I've got some bare, bare ground. I just want to. Um, stop any weeds coming and I want a ground cover just to fit to you know cover the whole
5: is it sunny or shady or
0: it's it's in the front actually it's in the front um, it, um, it's um, actually it's part where the path is it's it's I've got a, um, a timber uh, a short timber fence you know it's only a few inches and it's um, I got I had to get that um, cut back, you know, the stuff that had come from the, the front. I ju- and I just want to... It's really the other side of the path.
4: But is it sun or shade? That's the important thing. Yes. If it's a shady spot or is no,
0: it... No, I guess it's sunny.
4: Yeah. Uh, how big an area are we talking about? Is it a metre square or is it two oh, metres or...
0: Um,
4: approximately.
0: It's, uh, it's sort of a strip.
4: Mm. Um, so how wide would the strip be, though?
0: Oh, um... How many, a how of many three, steps from one end to the couple, other? About a couple of feet and it goes the whole length.
4: So you need something to cover the ground, but you don't actually want a vigorous ground cover that's going to come out over the path.
0: Oh yeah, that's a point. You
4: know, because so I would be more inclined to look for something that's actually a dwarf shrubby plant oh, yeah. um, than than a true ground cover because they will get thicker, so they exclude light to the ground better. Uh, some ground covers actually grow far too flat, and weeds will just go straight through them yeah. um, because the light can get to the ground. Uh, I would look at uh, potentially if it's sort of semi-shady, I'd look at some of the plectranthuses. We've discussed them earlier. Uh, they may they grow really quickly. Uh, they should uh, they won't frost down in Frankston because you don't not get enough cold down there. No. Uh, they are often autumn flowering. They're blue and white, all sorts of different colours, so plectranthesis could work very well.
0: How, how do you spell that?
4: P-L-E-C-T. Oh,
0: just hang on. P-L-E-C-T. R-A-N. R-A-N.
4: T-H-U-S.
0: T-H-U-S.
4: Yeah, plectranthesis.
0: Actually, it, it really gets a lot of a sun, I
4: think. Well, they'll cope with both. Yes. Uh, yeah, got- Plectranthus are really mm. adaptable plants. And if it does get a lot, uh, if it does get a lot of sun, uh, or maybe not, uh, if you're looking for something native, some of the corriers would work really well. A um, little corrier some, alba. Would be yeah, some of, the, some of the sort of lower but compact corriers would work really well. Oh, uh, I mean, there's quite a lot of stuff you could go for, but I would go for a dwarf shrub more than a ground cover because I think you're going to find a ground cover is going to ca- cause you a lot of work because it's going to keep growing out over the path.
2: Oh. OK? Yes, Joan, well, we're going to have to go yes, because we've no, got listeners waiting. Thank you very much for okay. all that information. OK. Bye. All right. Goodbye.
3: And also joining us from Frankston is Peggy. Good morning, Peggy.
4: Peggy. You there, Peggy? We seem not... We
2: might put Peggy back on hold and, uh, and see if we can get back to her. Uh, are you there, Jill?
3: Yeah. Oh, hi, yeah.
1: Jill. How are you? Um, next Saturday morning, I'm speaking on Monet's herbs and flowers at Montrose Library.
2: Mm. Okay.
4: Do people need to book for this, um, Jill? No,
1: they don't need to book, and it's free.
4: Yeah.
1: And um, I've got—I take, you know, some plants to show, you know, especially a few unusual ones. And then I've got—I don't know whether they're going to let me do the overheads, but I went to Monet's garden myself, so I've got heaps of pictures.
2: Mhm. Oh, that's good. So the times, Jill?
1: Ten o'clock, ten fifteen at Montrose Library. Um, I could ring back later and give the Melway or something if you want. Oh, look, I'm sure Paper people can, can find. Yeah,
4: yeah. Look, give them credit for being able to be a bit. Well, sort at least of they look in the way. Yes, there's plenty of chances of Googling or or, or checking it out on your uh, sav, uh, SavNAT or whatever.
1: It's on the, um, <laughs> the libraries, you know, of that region. Right. It's on their website. I Fantastic. Know. Okay, and, excellent. Um, yes, I'll put it on the Herb Society website tomorrow.
4: Right. Fabulous. All right, thanks, Jill. Okay,
2: thanks,
1: Jill. And then, then on Thursday, the 6th of August, um, Jude is coming to speak about cooking with Indigenous plants at the Herb Society, which meets 7.30 on Thursday the 6th at Burnley Horticultural um, College, the main building, room 10, and that's Melway 45A12, and... um, She's going to bring some examples of indigenous foods or things she's made from
4: them oh, Good as kangaroo well. tail soup, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> a bit but but I, think, I
1: think seeing we're horticultural, we <laughs> mostly <laughs> horticultural. Yeah. Well, they
4: do eat horticultural products. Well, I know that. Yeah, most know of ours, actually. Yeah. You know,
1: I'm, I'm just hoping that it's some Rosella jam.
4: Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I don't you bird. use Rosellas for Rosella jam, restaurant. though, Jill. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay,
0: thank you. That's okay. a pleasure.
1: Bye.
4: Bye bye. All right.
3: All right, we'll try going to Peggy and Frankston. Are you there, Peggy? Yes, I'm oh. here. Ah. Oh, great.
4: Oh. Now, how can we help you?
0: Oh, Stephen.
3: Yes,
4: I've that's got me.
0: a very straggly Bavardia. Yeah. And I know I can't prune it until about September.
4: Yeah, well, I certainly wouldn't prune Bavardias even where you are until the weather starts to warm up, yes. That's
0: right. Now, how hard do I cut
4: it back? How hard do you want to cut it back? I mean, you can cut a Bavardia back within inches of the ground if you feel the need. The issue will be, and this is the thing with pruning, people seem to think of pruning as a controlling mechanism. In a sense, pruning invigorates plants. It doesn't, in fact, slow them down or whatever. And if you cut really hard then it gives them extra vigour. So what will happen is you Bavaria when you prune it back. If you prune it really hard, it will shoot and it will send up these quite strong, long stems, which will almost put it back to what it was before if you don't then take extra action later. So what you need to do is prune it really hard, encourage some nice strong growth from the bottom. Then when that new growth gets going, nip it back a bit so that you take the tops out of it so that it encourages to create side branches so that you can build up a nice bushy shape does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's what I would do. I would wait till sort of September. September, that's what I was... Yeah, it would be fine do. down in Frankston, I would have thought. Um, and then give it a really hard cut, but then when it starts to shoot, nip the tips out like you were picking tea leaves. Um, right. And encourage it to bush and bush and bush. So nip the tips out two or three times during the spring, and then that will make a nice compact bushy plant that will hopefully go into flower for you later in the year.
0: Terrific. Thank you very
4: much. That's a pleasure, Peggy. Right all
0: so now.
3: Bye-bye.
4: Bye. Oh, if I could only grow Bavardias. <laughs> Come on down the peninsula. Yeah, well, it was one of those plants my mother always wanted.
3: Oh, and um, are you there, Mike, in Gippsland?
7: Yep, yep,
3: hello. Hi, how are you? Oh, uh,
7: You're on Gippsland. air, Mike. Oh, great, okay. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, just a quick thing about lawn, uh, but the main point of my concern uh, this morning, is the uh, roadside vegetation on freeways, mm. uh, which has been trending towards the natives, like the Zantaria that you mentioned, was that Kim that mentioned, mentioned it earlier?
5: Uh, we were t- yeah, t- yeah. might have been.
7: Yep. Yep. Well, the, yeah, the Zanteria, um beautiful, beautiful plant. I've, I've germinated those seeds myself, very hard to germinate but uh, finally got around to germinate, germinating some Zantaria seeds in my own garden. Um, but the concern I've got is that it just doesn't seem to be the right kind of management along the freeways. No, no sooner has a native plant gone in along those beautiful, uh, very well-sculpted freeways that we've been getting out uh, along the Prince's Freeway or Monash Freeway and uh, similar, and uh, I see them all dying. I see the, uh, the the people that that go in to spray for weeds seem to do it on a windy day. I, I happen to well, I've observed quite quite regularly that, that native plants seem to be infinitely more sensitive to uh, glyphosate, for instance, than uh, than other plants. Um, it's it's a concern. Have you noticed? something similar uh, along or Well they don't that. do anything
5: along the Calder Freeway so no <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> well, but, but well even driving up here this morning we've got East Link and mm. Peninsula Link which are fairly new roads and yes there's been a big movement towards planting lots of strappy leaf natives like there's lots, lots of, of hybrid l'mandra. lamandras there's yes. lots of you know little dwarf lamandras and um you know and I, I think I mean, I don't know, I'm no expert on this and you'd probably have to talk to freeway planners, but I think what they're doing is it's more, it's not so much habitat creation, I mean, it's more about um, an aesthetic and they're trying to get a particular landscape look. Um, it does look a bit of a sterile version of native planting, um, and and clearly they have to maintain it with some. And of course if Thursday's the
4: day they've put put down on the rosters to go out and spray, mm. if Thursday's blowing a gale, they'll probably still go out and spray. Uh, it's like cutting the grass on Thursdays even if it doesn't need mm. it. I mean, councils and, and what have you tend to work by rosters and um they do some very odd stuff. Mm. So yeah. you know, it's just the way it is, I think. Um but, uh, you know, freeway plantings could be fantastic if they use that space well, but yeah. you rarely see good plantings along
5: no, I don't think strips. I remember, that, was it two or three summers ago, and we had that really hot, hot weather, and there'd been a huge movement towards using uh, formiums, the New Zealand flax, in freeway plantings, and every single one of them got scorched to the ground.
4: Oh, yeah. And And understandably, I don't know why people think of New Zealand flax as being mm. seriously tough. Mm. It comes from a very cool, damn climate. South Island, why, New Zealand, why, yeah. why, in fact, should it be able well, to cope with tough. 45 degrees? <laughs> yes, it sort of looks tough. But it's nowhere near as tough as people no. think. And it needs some water if it's going to grow well. So, you know, bad choice.
5: But, but it appears they have – that's what my point was. That they've kind of learnt that lesson in a way yeah. because now they're moving to these well, – they're, they're highly bred lemanders, They're not bush lemanders, They're actually, you know, yeah. genetically – well, they've been bred – And they work better than that. Mm. But they are working on a a pretty monocultural kind of aesthetic. It's not it's not a it's not by no means an ecology going on. No. And and I guess from the point of view
4: of the management of those things, of course if it is a sort of monocultural sort of planting Almost anybody can manage it because, you know, it's one plant. You can sort of see what's not there, that's not meant to be there. So you spray those ones, (laughs) you know. And so you get this sort of, um, you know, this sort of landscaping by numbers sort of thing that happens. And I can understand why it does because... If you plant in a really complex Australian native landscape along a freeway, none of these jokers with Mm. trucks and and spray guns are going to know what to spray and what not to spray. Mm. They're going to spray all the good stuff and leave all the weeds Mm. uh, the way it will work in the end. Mm. So unless they are prepared to employ trained horticulturalists who really know their stuff, Mm. um, then we're always going to end up with these weird sort of plantings and and inappropriately managed plantings where they're spraying stuff and killing stuff that they've planted, which seems like an awful waste of money. Mm. those things happen.
7: Yeah. Uh yeah, I think I think I agree with that. It seems to be something to do with or where somebody uh they said something about the um the, the roster system. And uh but yeah, I, I I've seen the Garnier and it seems to be very, very uh sensitive towards any kind of uh overspray and uh it just seems to instantly kill the plant. Um just one other uh Thing that I've been experimenting with. Uh, if, you, if you've got
3: time,
7: yeah, yeah. go for mine. Yeah. Uh, yep, uh, it's the um, what, what's that most common lawn? Uh, it's I think it's either cooch grass or,
4: uh, or kikuyu, maybe
7: kikuyu. Is, is it a coo- a coarseish
4: grass or is it a, a finer one?
7: It's one that uh, if you let it go, it can grow up anything, and it's like it sends out uh, it sends out shoots. Uh, like anacondas, yeah, out it's probably America. kikuyu or yeah, yeah.
4: something or like summer that, summer grass, or maybe yeah. buffalo. One yeah. of those. Yeah,
7: yeah. yeah buffalo or kikuyu. Yeah, yeah. Th- that sounds right to me. Well, um, I, I got sick and tired of the incredible growth rate of that stuff, and uh, I just nuked it. Um, and I've I've probably taken my mowing down to probably a tenth, even 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 it could even be a fifteenth.
5: When you say yeah. you nuked it, you you. Sprayed it out? Is
7: that what you did? Well, yeah, I did use that uh, yep. that, that uh, glyphosate stuff.
5: And you've replaced it with garden instead of lawn? Has that been what you've done? I've,
7: I've actually uh, turned it into a into a kind of a native uh, garden, and uh, my rule for planting is it's either a native or it's a food-producing thing. So I've got some olives in there amongst it and uh, so on. And I think I've rung up on another occasion and i talked about a uh, widgie diggy I've had... Uh, does anyone know the, the it's, an, it's an Australian native? Bidgey-Widgey.
4: Uh, yeah, bidgey Yeah, we used to have a lot of fun yeah. with it as kids. We'd make yeah. huge balls out of the seeds and then play catch, yeah. and if somebody missed, oh. they ended up wearing it.
5: <laughs> yeah, What's yeah, it's a ten, pop pop
4: Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, a cena.
5: That's right, yeah, because I've actually yeah, seen um, it used it, it, in... Go on, go on man. A-
7: yeah, it's a great populating plant to, um, to populate a garden so that uh, if, if um, there's other weeds, it that, that tends to form a filter and prevent the spread of weed seeds.
4: I would warn anybody planting it, though, if they've got dogs or cats. Oh, yes. uh, Or woolly socks. Or woolly socks, (laughs) yes, if you run around with woolly socks. Or, in fact, if you run around with shorts and you've got hairy legs. Um, (laughs) It's probably not the best plant when it's in seed. I mean, we've got a corgi at home and she's really low to the ground. And if she walks through the bidgey-widgeys, she comes home and all her undercarriage is full of all of the seeds of that thing. Uh, So it's it's not my favourite plant, I have to say, um, from a practical point of view.
7: Yeah, well, it is difficult to work with, but when it's down, when it's been mowed and when it's, uh, it's finally established on a, on a fairly low level, uh, the, the seeds aren't... aren't, yeah, aren't yeah, it's probably fine low, then. Okay.
4: Uh, and it's got a pleasant foliage. I mean, it's a mm. nice, pretty little leafed plant. Actually, New Zealand's the home of the Bidjiwidji yeah. because there's some really good cultivars that come from New Zealand. Mm. I've got one with the most amazing metallic sort of mauvey purple foliage, yeah, uh, which and- is beautiful.
7: But getting back to the the kikuyu, the buffalo grass, there was a, a friend that um, uh, I've been offering to help with her, her lawn mowing, and I suggested to her that uh, perhaps she should get rid of the kikuyu, and we did. And her half and and the same thing has happened happened with her. She she said that before she used to have to mow uh, practically non-stop and uh, now she says that she's able to manage her garden. So. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, like to me that if somebody seems to be a little bit worried about how much mowing they're they're doing or not being able to control their garden, uh, the first thing I look at now is whether they've got that uh, particular lawn type of lawn, and, and just if if they have got that particular kind of lawn, get rid of it because it's just way too prolific for some
4: people to, to Look, handle. it depends on your attitude to things too, Mike. I mean, um, sure. you know, you talk about cutting down maintenance and all that sort of thing, but for me, my garden is a place that I go out to to enjoy. So I actually like gardening. I don't, I don't yeah. say mowing is my favourite thing, but I don't mind getting the no. mower out and run over the lawn on a regular basis. Um, and I always remember my old friend Christopher Lloyd when he was alive saying that low-maintenance gardens look like that.
7: Mm. Oh. Sticky. <laughs> yeah.
4: So I, I actually want my garden to be... Somewhere where I can go out and engage in it all the time, and there's yeah, always jobs to do. I actually think it's better than paying money to go to the gym.
5: Personally, mm. having oh, never been oh. in a gym though, maybe I'm wrong. I, I, from from my point of view, the 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 lawn thing is around scale and proportion and mm. how much time you you want to work with. Lawns um, are open void spaces in a garden, which are often really important yeah. for perspective and. Uh, they give you know,
4: somewhere to stand to look at the rest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if,
5: if a perennial border is is. Without a, a lawn or a path in front of it is impossible to digest. Um, but it's, and, and I, I took the lawn out of the front of my place because I, I don't love mowing yeah. lawns. Mm. I don't mind it, but I've contained it yeah. to a point where I've I can look after that. It doesn't. It's not going to take all I my did time every The same thing weekend.
4: too, Tim. In in our garden, we've got over an acre of garden, and there's one section of lawn which I grandiosely call the orchard because it's got half a dozen fruit trees in it. Uh, and it's the only piece of lawn we've got. It's perfectly circular, uh, so I can go round and round and round mm. and round with the lawnmower. It's very easy to manage. Mm. Um, and it's a big enough space where you can have friends around for a picnic mm. or whatever, but it's not any bigger than that. Yeah. you know. So we can do the biggest Ryan gathering we need to. You all fit. Uh, yeah. And we all fit, um, but it's no bigger than that. Yeah. And so it's... The absolute minimum amount of lawn yeah. for, for a useful space in the garden that we can have. And because the fruit trees are getting to a decent size now too, that's impeding the growth of the grass a bit. So it's a bit slower and it's not as dense and vigorous. It's actually not that hard to manage now. And I
5: think the key to lawns um, is the edging. Because mm. it, it, the time is mostly in the in maintaining that edge, mm. and Kikuya is a great example of this because oh, yeah. if you don 't maintain like the edge mad. it just runs like crazy um, and if you If you look at the the vegetable parterre we have at heronswood it 's a cut lawn cut turf parterre so there 's a lot of maintenance in terms mm. of cutting those edges i wouldn 't recommend that for someone in their home garden we 've got gardeners that do that. But at home, yeah, a round garden, yeah. a round garden like that, a single round garden only has one edge. Yeah, that's right, and that's it. Yeah. So it's done pretty quickly. And look, mine—I guess my my
4: lawn area would be the size of an average suburban front garden, in a sense. Um, but it's fairly quick to mow. Uh, the edging's not too hard to do, and I've just got a pair of long-handled edging shears that I can whip around the edge with, and occasionally I'll sharpen it up with a spade, mm. um, but I do the edges about every two or three mowings, um, and you know, it really doesn't take a lot mm. of my life mm. uh, to deal with the lawn. So. And, but
5: mind you, there are some people who've got the gold plated lawn mower would oh, love to be out there every weekend. Yeah, and, 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 that, and that's, they that's have their raison d'etre to yeah, go on <laughs> They've go got lawns. a bowling green for a
4: lawn, you know. So <laughs> Each to their own. Yeah, and it is each to their own. I mean, I don't object to people having the bowling green lawn. It's just that I wouldn't want one. <laughs> Mine has lawn daisies and all sorts of stuff in it. I call it a habitat, not mm. a lawn. Mm. Um, I've got a few bulbs that pop up in it, and, mm. you know, things like that. So I mow around them when they're in flower. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so I treat my grassed area with a bit of contempt really but it still works all right it's green stuff and of green i think space, yeah mm. yeah
2: so
4: there you go mike there's our opinions as well
2: okay mike
7: thanks for that refreshing okay
4: all right bye. bye see ya
2: Stephen, we haven't had
4: oh yeah we should talk about a couple chance, of plants but, uh, definitely all right well the first thing i want to talk about is one i bought a book and a plant in um uh, to illustrate a point, in a sense, and illustrating points on radio I know is a bit difficult. <laughs> with a book any- and a plant. <laughs> yeah, with a book <laughs> and a plant. But anyhow, you'll get the point in a minute. Um, it's a plant called, unfortunately, Euonymus fortunii cuensis. Um, now, the euonymus is a tough plant, and there's some that are climbers, some that are shrubs, some that are ground covers. And in the case of cuensis, it's actually a ground cover. And when you... When and if you ever see it for sale in a nursery, and I'm probably one of the few that grow it, sell it, it's just this little flat-growing thing uh, with very tiny little dark green leaves, about half the size of an English box leaf, so they're quite small. Uh, And as a young plant, that's exactly what it does. It just creeps along the contours of the ground, so if there's a bit of a slope, it'll run down, but otherwise it just stays perfectly flat. And you might look at it and say, oh, interesting little ground cover, maybe. Uh, it doesn't flower, it doesn't do anything else but be dark green and grow on the ground. But as it gets older, and this is the reason I bought the book in, uh, as it gets older, what happens is this flat ground cover starts building on itself, and eventually it builds up into these quite pointy waves that can get up to about oh, 60 centimetres eventually, so you end up with this garden full of dark green waves, which I hope everybody can get a visual <laughs> picture of at home, um, nobody would sell this in the nursery trade unless they had the picture to show people what it can do. And this is one of the things about plants. You've either got to do a lot of research and understand what the plant's going to do before you buy it, or you've got to have a nurseryman that you rely on and, un- and who understands your requirements and can you know, talk you through plants to try out, keeping in mind that most plants aren't so expensive that if either you or the nurseryman does make a mistake, well you pull it out and start again, and you've got a gap. I mean, I'm not frightened to try out things I haven't grown before because that's part of the fun of gardening. Uh, but a lot of plants don't present themselves in their mature form as a young plant in a pot. So you do have to suspend disbelief a little bit with some plants. And this funny little euonymus is one of them. I, I got it originally from one of the tube growers who thought it was going to be the best thing since sliced bread. I'm not even sure he's as growing. A flat
5: ground cover. Yeah,
4: well, no, he knew what it did. Oh, okay. But the problem was that... None of the people who bought his tubes knew what it did, so if they bought it from him, they didn't know how to present it or how to market it or how to convince people to plant it. Um, And so I'm assuming by now that he's probably stopped growing it because I was one of the few that bought it. Uh, Because it's dare I say, quite easy to propagate. I don't need to buy it again. Um, uh, so I can strike my own. Um, uh, so once you've got the variety, it's not that hard to strike. In fact, it will root down on the ground a bit too. So you get what I call Irishman's cuttings, which are sort of cuttings with roots already on them. Uh, if you sort of scratch around or bury the branches a bit. Um, and so it's a really interesting little plant, but it will only sell, I think in a place where the nurseryman's enthusiastic enough to point it out to you, show you the picture in the book, probably, Um, and convince you that this will be an interesting Mm. plant. I've got one landscape designer that's used this plant Mm. uh, that I convinced her to use it, and she saw this picture in this book. It's the only book I've ever been able to find with a photo Mm. of this plant in. Um, And I'm hoping that it will build a little impetus once a few Mm. people see it. The problem is that it'll take probably two to three years to start building Mm. on itself and create the wave effect. Mm. So initially it's just going to be this little flat dark green mat, which will still be a... A respectable ground cover, I guess. Uh, but until it starts showing its characteristics, nobody else is going to plant it.
5: So it's it's an interesting it's little plant. It, um for those who are familiar with the Melbourne Botanic Gardens, opposite the the new the children's garden, it's not new anymore. Mm. Yep. But directly opposite the gate to that, there's a bunch of um, they're Mule and yeah, yeah yes. They're grown yes. on and frames. they're grown on a frame. Yeah, so they look um, like seaweed. That's right. That's yeah. right. And this the picture that it's in um, Stephen's book looks like that, but it's yeah. doing itself supporting. I thought when I first looked at the photograph that they were on uh, yeah. They're on some sort of frame. Or yeah, something.
4: and in fact, this would have been the perfect plant to put under those and mm. Beccia, um frames mm. to create that sort of undersea thing. They've used asparagus ferns. That's right. Uh, I think them. it's asparagus myrii, Myri, yep. Yeah. that they've used there, uh, which looks quite good. But I think this would have been even better had mm. it been available and or mm. had somebody known that it was available and used it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's a great little plant. But
3: I reckon it would look quite interesting under a small forest of birches or something yeah, like mm. that, it would.
4: wouldn't it? It would. It would look great. Uh, and that will it sort of take thing. much shade? It will take a bit of shade. It doesn't mm. want to have dense shade. Uh, and the only issue you would have putting it under deciduous trees, I guess, is when it's still a flat mat and hasn't started to build on itself it could get swamped by the foliage uh, in the autumn Mm. Uh, i'm not sure how much leaf litter it will Mm. cope with when it's young but as it gets older and it starts building itself up the leaf litter is going to drop to the bottom Mm. so it would probably be fine once it got its act together so you might have to put the blower over it the first (laughs) few years until it uh, until it got well established but i just think it's a really interesting little plant Mm. and I can imagine a bed of this in a garden would make a huge conversation piece. Oh, sure. Everybody would want to know about it. And there's lots of plants that that they're odd. They're not necessarily beautiful. They're not necessarily classic or even something that you wouldn't necessarily go out of your way to look for. But when you use them, they create conversation in a garden. And I always maintain that if you've got some interesting, unusual plants in your garden, it's an absolute win-win for everybody. Because if you've got standard iceberg roses, box hedging and white gravel, the best anything can say of that is, isn't it's neat? You know... Because there's nothing to talk about. You know, we all know what an iceberg rose looks like. We all know what box hedging's like. We know when the gravel needs raking. There's actually no sort of excitement in a garden like that. It just looks neat. Um, But if you've got a plant that is sort of a bit unique in your garden, something that's a little bit out of the ordinary, a bit offbeat, preferably something that's got a slightly strange characteristic about it, people will come in and your visitors will arrive and they'll go, what's that? Mm. So you get to teach them something so they learn and you get to look smart.
3: Imagine that as a little quirky front fence. I think it would be fantastic. If it just along the front fence yeah, line, it would yeah, be amazing. Yeah,
4: so you, know, so, you know, perhaps thinking outside the square is a good thing in our gardens because when you think about it, most of us live in a house very similar to the neighbours, on a block probably the same size. We're probably in the same socioeconomic group as our neighbours, uh, probably all drive the same sort of cars. So none of us can afford a Lamborghini in the garage or a Picasso on the wall, but we can have a plant in our garden that all our neighbours don't have. And in fact, I get annoyed when talkback radio people uh, tell people just to wander around the street, see what everybody else is growing and plant some of those because that's Mm. bound to work. It's just exacerbating the well, problem. And, and, and look, it, it's true. I mean, if you go out and yes. look around the neighbourhood and see what's yeah, growing, you'll get, yes. You'll, well,
5: get a, you'll get a climate, something that is a survivor. Yeah, there, you'll get But not necessarily, it, it actually discounts lots of options. It does. And you things. end up with a garden that looks like your mm. neighbours. Mm. You know, so
4: for me, it's all about having a garden that's a little different, a little interesting, mm. um, that um, you know, has some quirky and interesting plants. I mean, one of the other things I brought along this morning is a camellia, which is actually very close to the wild form of camellia japonica. It has basically the sort of Mm. deep cerise single flowers that you'd expect on a wild camellia japonica. It's obviously a Japanese selection, and its leaves, or its stems curl and twist and go in all sorts of different directions. Mm. Uh, So I'm calling it my crazy camellia. Um, And it's a cultivar that goes under the name of unruly, which is possibly mispronounced, but it's U-N-R-Y-U, And it would make a great tub specimen, a great conversation piece in the garden, because even when it's not in flower, it's doing something Mm. weird. Um, And in fact, I've planted one in the garden at home, which I intend thinning to keep the characteristics of the branches. Yeah, yeah, so I'll thin it out and keep it sort of open Mm. so that I can look at these weird, strange branches. And that's another thing I love in gardening is those funny little quirky maintenance things that you have to do that are artistic. Mm. Mm. I mean, the general... Weeding can get a bit tedious after a while. But if you're out there shaping and making something do what you want, I see that as an artistic pursuit. And um, this camellia, which is flowering in midwinter, uh, will flower for months. The rest of the year is going to be this quirky
5: conversation piece. And it it reminds me of... Um there's another tortured plant, the tortured filbert. Oh, that, yes, yes, um, Coralus, yes. Which, which has the same, very similar... Oh, much the same tail. sort of shape. But it, because it goes deciduous in the winter, mm. it, it is this... In, in the wintertime, it's bare and you see all these wonderful oh, tortured, tortured mm. stems from the ground up. And yeah. there's one in the garden at St Earth, which is mm. right near our little cafe deck. And it, um, it's a real talking piece, a real oh, centerpiece. Oh, especially going when it has its catkins on it. Yes, um, and all dangling while yeah. it's kind of bare. Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. And it is—it's a conversation piece. And mm. I really do like plants that stimulate conversation. I don't even mind if they stimulate negative conversation. Mm. You know, sometimes you know, I'll, I'll have things like you know, dead horse lilies in the garden, ponging the garden up uh, for a few days when they're in flower. People will still comment. They might not say anything pleasant <laughs> they about might it. Move but away it, quickly. Yeah, yeah. But it does create conversation. <laughs> You know, and they want to know why. Yeah. You know, So everybody gets to learn. So I really love plants that do those sort of weird, mad things. Uh, they they keep me entertained. They keep me smiling. Gardening should be fun, I think.
3: Okay, let's go to our next caller. We... Oh, good morning, Elaine, in Burwood.
0: Oh, good morning, everyone. Morning. I've been given a batch of the Jerusalem artichoke.
5: Yeah. Yep.
0: And I found them very fiddly to... Peel and Don't mm-hmm.
4: peel them. Oh. the easy way around it. Just give them a good, them a good them. wash. Yeah, just wash them. I never peel my Jerusalem artichokes. If, uh, I'm, well if I'm, I'm, I'm making soup, I just scrub mm-hmm. them with a scrubbing brush, chop them up, throw them in the pan.
0: Oh, well, I've learned something.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and there, the... there are
5: selections out there that have a less knobbly uh, yeah. uh, tuber. But uh, I don't see the point in but, peeling them. Yeah. But that's only for the reason that people have trouble peeling them and it's not an issue. Yeah, yeah because well, by the time you've peeled them, you've got almost nothing yeah, left. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I don't even mind scrubbing a potato or a yeah, sweet fine. potato yeah. and just putting it in the oven. You yeah. know? And the nutrients
2: in the skin
4: yeah, anyway. Exactly.
5: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so don't peel them.
2: Oh, well, thank you because I've learned something <laughs> But do morning. save
5: some to plant, though. Uh,
2: yes. Well, I've,
0: I have uh, quite a few left over and... Uh, I was told to plant them because mm-hmm. they were given to me um, any leftover ones I could plant yeah. um, now uh, tell me when and uh, uh, how thick do they grow, or <laughs> how deep do I plant them
5: yeah. well, but when you plant them, plant them somewhere where you know you 're going to have them forever because yeah, yeah, you 'll never get rid of them because they they're going they 're pretty they 're pretty vigorous mm-hmm. uh, I know we, when I was up at Sid earth um, we, there was a patch. Uh, that we in a garden area that we worked over. Yeah. And we managed to spread them across <laughs> yeah, the would, yes. <laughs> yes, if you dig, dig
4: over a bed, yes, you <laughs> yeah. would just move them everywhere. So, they
5: did, so be be aware that they need a little bit of containing mm-hmm. um, and you're going mm-hmm. to put them somewhere that you're going to be happy to have them forever. Yes. Yeah. Um, you can plant them pretty much now. Well, in fact, I like, would prefer to put them in now because if you hold on to them
4: too long and they're mm-hmm. not in the ground, they start to um, wrinkle and get Squishy. Yeah. So yeah. you're better to just plant them straight away if you've got a spot ready for them.
0: Oh, I see. All right, I can do that quite But easy. remember,
4: one Jerusalem artichoke tuber in the ground will probably produce half a bucket full of mm-hmm. um, Jerusalem artichokes at the end. So <laughs> don't get too excited and plant too many. Uh, and I don't know whether you've already realised that one of the other names for a Jerusalem artichoke is a Fati choke. Um, mm-hmm. So, so don't eat imagine. them before you go out to the theatre. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. Yeah, So, but they've got a wonderful flavour. I mean, we bake them in the oven. We make soup from them. Yeah. Um, uh, they're a great vegetable, and I think they're quite good for you. Yeah, th- uh, it's thinly sliced, we've um, used them up at Sid Earth, because well, we have such an abundance. Yeah, yeah. well, that's right. <laughs> yes, you end up with so many of the damn things. So, yes, don't plant too many. I think the average household, if you put two or three tubers in the ground...
2: That's more than enough. Yeah. It's more
4: than enough, because you'll end up with more
5: tubers than you'll yeah. know what to do with the following season. Yeah. Oh,
2: well, I've got
0: a
1: bag
5: full to give away. <laughs> but, but remember also that they, they are, a, the sunroot is another name mm-hmm. because they're related to the, to the sunflower. Um, so put them somewhere up the back where if you can let them flower. Oh, yeah, you that's the other thing I, we did mention that yeah. when they're growing, if you've never grown these things before, no. they grow like a sunflower, so they'll,
4: they'll send up a spike that could be three metres high yeah. if they're in really good soil. Oh, yes. Well. And then they'll get tiny little yellow sunflowers that sit right up at the top in the autumn. Mm. Oh. Uh, so they're very statuesque. Mm. You know, oh. they're, they're very tall, vertical plants. So they're very good at the back of a border yeah. somewhere.
5: Somewhere you can appreciate yeah. them as a as a growing ornamental.
4: Yeah. Mm, yeah. So they do look quite ornamental, mm. but they grow very tall. So don't plant them where it's going to cut down your <laughs> afternoon sun. Um, <laughs> and remember how many tubers you're likely to get from the one you put in. Mm.
0: I'll get. Ample for just
4: myself. Yeah, well, if you're you're on your own, one or two in the ground is going to be more than you can deal with. You'll end up with giving oodles away to other people.
0: Thank you. That's that's excellent news. And, uh, oh, no, well, I'll be fine now. Thank you. All right. Fantastic. Okay. Thank you very much. It's a
4: pleasure.
2: Bye
4: bye. Yes, the old Jerusalem artichokes, yes. The, yeah. You can very easily find yourself inundated. <laughs> they are one of those crops that really pays back. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So there well you go. I'm glad
3: you said don't peel because I only I'm only just experimenting with them and I bought some at the Heelsville market last yeah. weekend and yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Oh they're gonna yeah. be a Well I can remember when I first peel.
4: came when I I first met the vegetable actually at Christopher Lloyd's in, in England and he was making soup and he was peeling them. And I was looking at this and and you know, by the time he'd peeled around the knobs, the knobs had disappeared, mm. and he ended up with this quite small thing like in the middle. Torpedo. And he was making this this Jerusalem artichoke and carrot soup, which I make regularly now. And so I tried making it at home. It, it's in his book on uh, the Gardener Cook book that he produced. Is this recipe for Jerusalem artichoke soup? And he talks about peeling the artichokes. And the first crop I grew of my own, I thought this is madness. I can't spend hours mm. pruning these things or. Peeling these things, So I just did. I just chopped them up and threw them in the pan and it tasted exactly the same as mm. Christo's soup without all the work.
3: We better give us the rest of the recipe now.
4: Oh, God. Well, off the top of my head, I can't remember. But you put a whole pile of Jerusalem artichokes in a pot. You throw some onions in the pot as well, chopped, uh, some chopped carrots into the pot and some celery and a bit of salt and some and either vegetable or chicken stock is basically what it's about. Now... Originally, I followed the recipe to the recipe, but now it's sort of, you know, chuck what have I got? Chuck it, in, you know, it. I just <laughs> chuck everything in yep. uh, and then you vitamize it up, put it in a processor or whatever, but don't blend it down until there's no textural lumpy bits left in it. You need to have that little bit of texture. Mm. Um, and mm. I make up huge batches of it and I freeze it in those um, Chinese takeaway food containers in the, in the freezer. And I've got Jerusalem choke soup for the whole year. In fact, I think there's some of last year's still there and i haven 't started this year's um, so i 've always got some soup in the in the in the freezer as I need it mm. um, and that's the best way to deal with the Jerusalem mm. artichokes I think turn mm. them into soup and freeze it absolutely yeah, yeah. so uh, but but do be warned some people have a seriously violent reaction to re- Jerusalem artichokes which is very very antisocial very yes <laughs> yeah. that's what I
3: was saying at the market as well
4: farty yeah, chokes. yeah farty yeah. chokes you should
5: just rename them
4: yeah yes well it will be easier um, <laughs> but yeah it's just one of those things but you know I try and remember that I'm if I'm going to the theatre the next day, I, I just don't have them that day. Because, mm. uh, you know, otherwise you've got to keep looking at the people next to you with this dreadful look on your face as if to say, what have you done, you know, to try and shift the blame. <laughs> and
3: definitely don't have an entree of Brussels sprouts or something. Oh, on your uh,
4: no, no, you could you could actually compound the problem <laughs> quite a bit. A uh, week before you can go to the theatre. Yeah, theater. that's right, exactly.
3: <laughs> All right, now joining us on the line is Penelope from East Malvern. Good morning, Penelope.
0: Oh, good morning. I just want to ask Stephen, if I can. Mm. Um, I've just bought this blue geranium, mm. and I want to know whether I can plant it in a pot or does it have to be in the ground? Uh,
4: you're talking about Rosanna, I think? Yeah,
0: Roxanne. Mm. Uh, Roxanne, Ro- sorry. I think it's,
4: it's, like it's Rosanna. Yeah, actually. I think it's Roseanne. I don't Ro- think it's Roxanne. I think it's Roseanne. Rose- Um You can grow them in pots. There's absolutely no reason why not. Mm. Um keeping in mind that like a lot of perennials, they get quite a strong root system, they'll need to be repotted and what have you every year or two. So it it can't just sit in a pot and stay there. But then very few plants can. Mm. You know, people sort of think, oh, yes, I'll pop it in a pot and they stick things in pots and then they leave them and they never repot them, water them, feed them, do anything proper with them. If you're going to grow something in a pot, you've got to look after it to make it perform well. And certainly things like those um, uh, old-fashioned species geraniums, uh, they need a little bit of watering and feeding and things to keep them ticking along and doing their stuff. Uh, It does make, though, a very good border plant for the edge of a border, flowers for months, uh, will tolerate semi-shade through to pretty well full sun, yeah. um, not particularly fussy about soils,
5: uh, it is a great plant, mm. it's, a, it's a really good I garden think, plant. I think Dranium Roseanne was the plant of the century, Well, the RHS? Uh, something was like that. Yeah, some, there was some accolade. got some done. huge
4: accolade, mm. I mean, I'm not sure that any plant deserves those sorts of accolades, <laughs> I think there's always a downside Team of to of the with, century. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, and it always worries me that if somebody gives a plant like that a huge accolade, then the one thing it will then end up doing is becoming boring because it's everywhere, yeah. you know. So I, I, it worries me that when plants are given, you know, huge prizes and things that everybody's going to want to have mm. one and then once everybody's got one, we're all going to get bored. Yeah. I, I
5: think on, in this case... Um and I agree with mm. that with that concept actually, but I think it 's actually well warranted not not its centenary award, but it's it's um Joanne Roseanne is a really good garden it is plant. a good garden i land. think it, it merits um yeah, uh, being more widely yes. planted because it flowers quickly it 's easily maintained uh, it's it, it it has dependable, a long season, long yeah. season yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it is, it's a good shapely plant. a yeah. good plant i think a good plant yeah
0: so i 'm just thinking i 've got this uh lavender that's not doing very well and that's in full sun wh- mm. when it's in the summer time. so i'm just thinking if i pull that out and put the rock the geranium in there yeah so it, i no, don't
4: see why not yeah. i'd probably prepare the ground a wee bit because yeah. the lavender may well have impoverished the soil a bit yeah. so i dig in some good compost and things like that maybe a little bit of old manure or something as well yeah. just to sort of refresh the soil a bit before i put it in but um. there's no reason why it wouldn't work quite well there
0: okay thanks stephen.
4: That's no, a pleasure. thank you bye bye yes there's always this dreadfully worrying sort of thing where you know good plants can then become tiring because you see them everywhere, mm. and yet they're inherently a good plant mm. but you know, at the end of the day, going back to what I said before, you don't want everything that's the same as everybody no. else
5: and I think there's a there's always a tension in in uh in ornamental horticulture, with new things, there's always yeah. this kind of what's the latest thing. Oh yeah, you've got to have the new roses or and the go, new whatever. They come yeah. and go in a years, yearly, mm. annual cycle. Whereas the dependable plants or the, or the ones that are tried and true mm. are really what we should be, you know, putting yeah. our emphasis on.
4: Yeah, look, I agree with you in one sense, but in another sense, novelty does keep the nursery industry <laughs> 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 ticking over, uh, and we all want to do that, um, yeah. especially those of us who work in it.
5: Yeah. Um, but I novelty, know, novelty it, can come. For instance, with your eonymus, yeah, novelty is not—it's not a new variety. No. Well, in fact, it's, it's discovering point, what exists already.
4: I don't know whether they mention when this was found, but it was found as a uh, a freak seedling at Kew Botanic Gardens in England. Um, now, it doesn't mention how long ago, but it's, it's been well, certainly been in in England for for probably fifty or eighty years mm. or more. Um, but see things like geranium roseanne, you plant it in a pot and it'll flower in the pot. It shows exactly what it's going to do. Mm. Um, yeah, so I you don't actually have to be a Rhodes scholar to no. sell it no. um, because it's pretty. Mm. And so I don't know whether they're doing that with this particular plant, but you put it in a colour coordinated pot with a huge big label. Oh mm. uh, yes, they are. Yeah, yeah, I thought <laughs> they might. Uh, and then you know it'll it'll walk out of the chain stores mm. because they don't actually have to. Mm know anything about the plant no.
5: people will pick it up as an and impulse and i think that's purchase. partly about to knowing there are different people who have different emphasis yeah. and different knowledge on gardening. yeah
4: and that's yeah. fine too yeah. you know we've all,
5: i mean we don't we, we started all know about brain in... surgery you know
4: so <laughs> oh. that's fine i mean i know it exists that's my level of expertise in brain surgery um in gardening you're gonna have all these right. different levels and so the person who picks up the impulse purchase plant and takes it home they're still gardening and if they have success
5: mm. and they want to go the next step and they they they've, they've the first step yeah. on the rung, and I think yeah. that's, that's – we have yeah, to Yeah, you've got to get them in that. to start with. Yeah. Otherwise, they're never going to become the keen gardeners that mm. are going to do
4: the, the, right. the, the really serious gardening mm. and become sort of obsessive and passionate about it. Um, so, yeah, everybody has to start from somewhere. Mm. So, yeah, so things like geranium roseanne are actually a very good starting point mm. for a lot of gardeners because once they've tried that plant and hopefully had success with it, um, it will inspire them a bit because uh, I actually also have the belief that in gardening, you do need to have your stalwarts that do things well – But there's also the fun of the challenge Hmm. of growing the thing that everybody tells you you can't,
5: (laughs) because that's part of it as well. We have lots of plants in our list, uh, both edibles, mostly, I guess, edibles in this context, which uh, are subtropicals. Hmm. And I get a lot of people who are just on the perimeter of the climate zone where it's going to work who are like, oh, I'm going to have a crack. You know? yeah. I'm, I'm going to see if I can do it. And can I grow a banana in Hobart? You well, know?
4: exactly. You know, None of these things are that expensive mm. that you can't. No. I always say yeah. to people, is it going to cost me more than dinner out? Mm. And if it's going to cost me more than dinner out, maybe I have to consider it. But if it's going to cost me less than dinner out, I mean I go out for dinner, enjoy a dinner, and hopefully have nothing to show for it 24 hours later. <laughs> um, whereas if I buy a plant, uh, even if I lose it, I've learned something. Mm you know maybe just not to buy that again but i've learnt something from it so you know it's a it's a learning curve it's yeah. it's something that you do because you want to know about stuff and yes i've <laughs> i don't think it's worked but i bought one of those cool climate bananas um, i whipped it up to my greenhouse the other day because we'd had two serious frosts and it all gone <laughs> pfft. um And uh, so I think there is a certain
5: level of coolness to which the cool bananas won't cope. You're you're extremely cool. Yes. And so,
4: (laughs) well, I've often wondered how cool I am, but there there you go. (laughs) Um... But um, so I've whipped it up to the greenhouse. It was actually meant to be an experiment. I should have just left it there to see what happens. Yeah. But if, if it survives now, it will still have been something of a test on this yeah. thing to see whether it will come back again or not. Because it certainly last week got two seriously yeah, corker tough. frosts yeah. on it. Um, and, and then I looked at it and I thought, you do look dreadful. Uh, and so I took pity on it and threw it in the greenhouse. But, you know, it's part of the fun. Yeah. It's what you do. All right.
3: On the line now is Elizabeth from Preston. Good morning, Elizabeth. Oh, good morning. Um, thank you for taking my call.
4: That's a pleasure. Um,
8: just, thank you. I'm just ringing to um, find out if anyone can assist me. I've got an Albertine Rose, which is sort of like, um, well, it's what I call my uncle's Rose who, um, he's dead now. And um, but I put it there, and he'd seen it, and and I'm sort of would like to keep it if I could, and it's had um, a bit of a rough trot. I haven't maintained it that well over the years, um, and the the main leader now it's starting to look a bit bit stuffed. Um,
4: <laughs> to put the technical <laughs> term on it, Elizabeth. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well,
8: it, it is. It, it it it's still got a f- you know a few green shoots and everything on it, but and there's a, a new thing coming out, but um, it's it's going to be a long road to hoe. And I'm just wondering whether it's worthwhile persevering or just getting another one. Oh,
4: look, I I would persevere. The issue I've got with it is it depends on whether that Albertine is getting enough sun and is in an appropriate spot to grow a rose to start with.
8: Yeah. Uh, One thing that may have been a problem, um, I think, is that on the other side of the fence, I grew a blue plumbago, Mm. and during the summer... um, it tends to come over the fence a bit, and, and it may shade it yeah. a bit too much. Because Albertine
4: in may... is usually a well vigorous isn't the term for it. Oh, it's uh, a thug! It's an absolute yeah. thug it's of a rose. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it'll take over a shed. Yeah, will... yeah. I thought you said something else. Then <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you shouldn't say that on radio. Um, I remember it's a when shed I shed house, right? yes, yes, yes. I, I remember being in England years ago, and I was w- working at the Brighton Parks Department, and there was a guy working there who used to do some weekend work in people's gardens, and I needed money desperately, so he used to take me out on weekend work with him, and we went to this. Absolutely gorgeous, thatched, cottagey place in somewhere outside of Brighton. I don't remember exactly where we were to help this woman in her garden. And she had an Albertine rose that had completely covered the house. Mm -hmm. It was up and over the top of the house. And I think it was going across onto the cow shed next door. Um, (laughs) And we had to prune it. And I reckon I would have been better to go to the zoo and fight the tigers. (laughs) It was – because Albertine is not only a vigorous rose, it's also an exceedingly prickly rose. It has vicious, vicious thorns on it. Uh, But a well-grown and well-maintained Albertine rose is to die for. It is a beautiful rose. Um, And it is tough. So as long as it's got enough light – and you're giving it a bit of a feed and stuff, I would just hack
5: it back really hard. Yes, I would hack it. Yeah, I would cut it back really if, if hard this winter. it's well established, it's mm. been there for a while, yeah. it's got a root system in the ground, yep. hack it back, it'll respond. Yeah, really
2: encourage new growth. Yeah. yeah,
4: so that's what I Revitalize would do. It. I'd get in there, cut it back, get your welding gloves on to do it yes. um, and cut the whole plant back quite hard, maybe even to just a stump, perhaps a metre tall. Right. Uh, and it should, in the spring, respond and send out huge long canes, but be ready to tie them back into place as soon as they get gathered Knowing, right. Uh, because otherwise they will engulf you.
8: Okay. What about, see, I've got it's just got one main leader now. Yeah. Um, uh, that's the one I'd have to hack back. Yeah. And yep. there'd be yep. nothing. So it'd be okay to do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. yeah.
5: Yep. Oh,
8: well, they well, are I'd tough
1: plans. Today,
4: yeah. yeah, so I would. I would just, you know, cut it back to about a metre high, take everything away, uh, and then Hopefully you'll get some really good growth from really low down.
5: You might get some good strong water shoots that come from
4: nearly ground level.
5: Mm. Yes. If you do get those, then yeah. I'd take
4: even the rest of the rose down. Because I
5: imagine, right. I, I don't think I've ever seen an albertine that's on a on a graft, on a rootstock. They usually are cutting, so yeah. so you can hack it back hard and not be worried that the rootstock rose. is going to come yeah. over, which yeah. is an issue with sometimes with roses. Yeah. It, so that's what I would do, Elizabeth. Be right. vicious. I
8: will. Um, I just need to ask one thing with it. It, it did have a fungal, um, like a, no, it a, like, looked like a bit, like a bracket fungus, grow and I treated it with an antifungal thing um, and it came back, so I'm just wondering whether that's not weakened it or...
4: or... Could have done. If you had a bracket fungus growing on the side of the rose, it must have had dead wood in it.
8: Well, well, I think that's it it, ha- it has had dead wood in it to tell you the
2: truth. Yeah. yeah. Look, we'll take out all that dead wood. Yeah, if
4: if you've got any dead wood, even yes. if it's below that meter I suggested you leave your plant at, you're better to cut even lower. Oh, and I mean okay. at the end of the day if it's not performing well, yeah, you can do very little harm by hacking it back and if you did lose it in the end, there's, you know, you can I'll always replace an albertine, I guess. Um but you're far better to be ruthless and and yeah. take a risk than just okay. to leave this scruffy looking thing in the garden.
8: Okay. What's another if it does die? What's another a good one? Um, I'd like to you know put something else there and replace it because it's you know my, my uncle's rose. Sort
4: of yeah. Well, if you were going to move from Albertine, I'd probably go for something a little less vigorous, mm. and I'd actually And I'm not a rosarian, but one of the uh, sort of scrambly roses I quite like is Crepuscule.
1: Mm.
8: All right.
4: Okay. It's, it's a soft-looking rose. Uh, it's, uh, you it can buy it as a standard. You can buy it as a climber. climber. Yep. Um, and Crepuscule's got this lovely sort of mm. soft apricot. Tonings, and yeah. it's just beautiful. And yeah, it's, and I'll, I'll it's... get, I'll,
8: I'll, I'll, um, look at that one. Then I've got a friend who's got that. <laughs> Her pair of kids call it crapper school. <laughs> <laughs> now we sorry, get, now we're now we're getting biological
4: news. again. I don't know what's happening this morning, but <laughs>
8: <laughs> <laughs> but like, it is oh, a really I'll pretty look. rose. Okay. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. Yeah, All it's right. a pleasure.
4: Bye. Bye. Uh, Yes, I haven't heard anybody talk about Albertine for ages. It's one of <laughs> no, those old-fashioned ones. No, it is. Well, we
5: carry Albertine and crepuscule. No, yes. we um, I guess, this is part of the, our mantra: the what's old yeah, is new. Un, yeah, the yes, old-fashioned exactly. is coming back. These sorts get... of things are dependable, good mm. garden yeah. doers. Well, they've mm. been around all that time yeah, for a reason. They've proved their stripes. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Tim, we should talk about the seed annual yeah, briefly sure. because that's just been released, hasn't
5: it? So, yes, yeah, well, our, our club members, so the Diggers Club has 70-odd thousand members throughout the country. They've, in the last week or so, if you're a club member, you would have got one of these in the post. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the, the fireside reading and the planting for the, the yes. season that's coming. I
2: love it when this seed annual comes into my post office box. It's great.
5: In fact, I've, um, we've got a, if I can mention, we've just got a, an offer. For those of you who aren't members... Um if, if you've been listening to this show and you want to get a copy of one of our seed annuals uh, and you have access to email, uh, if you email us at info at diggers.com.au, that's info at diggers.com.au, and just say that you heard the 3CR program this morning uh, and send us your name and address, we'll send you one of these for free.
2: Fantastic. Woohoo! So, that's, that's great. So
5: hopefully a few people out there can um, get to get to have a leaf through and enjoy the wonders that are in our seed catalog. And I
2: tell you what, it'll whet your appetite. Yeah. You yeah. won't be able to stop. There's, there's some great, great seeds in here. I can't
4: see time. any pictures
5: of dwarves standing next to <laughs> pumpkins to make them look bigger. Um, <laughs> isn't that one of the things you do in seed catalogs? <laughs> That's what they do. <laughs> yeah. In fact, there was a huge movement in the States back in oh, back in the late 20th century mm-hmm. where there was this sort of gigantism. Yeah, yeah, they would draw to have these the biggest, pictures. Yeah, biggest, yeah. Yeah. Biggest. And they'd do this tiny, this cart, or horse and cart, yeah. with this massive pumpkin on it (laughs) it was clearly not real but it was but it was part of this sort of mantra yeah yeah, the marketing campaign oh dear yes I love all that our cover this year has um it's part of our, our pumpkin stack that we had at the International Flower and Which Garden, was so. remarkable.
4: It was. Yeah. yeah I mean, it was. it was a highlight of the show. I just loved it. When I walked in, you couldn't help but smile at this yeah. huge
5: pumpkin pyramid.
4: It was mm. just fabulous.
5: It was – it was, and, and I guess pumpkins, heirloom pumpkins, gourds, squashes are a, a real um, showgirl for the mm. heirloom movement. Mm. Um, you know, in our catalogue, we've got – I think we've got 20-odd varieties of different pumpkins – some of which are Australian heirlooms like mm. Ironbark or mm. there's another one called Bohemian, which was one that Digger's rediscovered and has, has been put back and is now selling through through uh, other seed agencies as well. It's a really interesting one, the, the Bohemian, because as with all open pollinated varieties, there's some variation within a variety. Uh, in, and so you'll get some slightly different looking things. But we in, in all our growing of this pumpkin Bohemian, which is a wonderful pumpkin mm. for storing and for soups and for cooking and baking um, – but we get two types. We get a football, like an Aussie rules-shaped type, right. and, a, and a soccer type. There's okay. a round and an oval. Oh, so you cover mo- both, both the yeah, codes. so we're covering codes. all the codes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I assume they taste somewhat They taste similar. exactly the yeah. same. The yep. skin is the same, but the shape is different. Yep. Yeah. And I've, we've asked people uh, overseas, especially at the Seed Saver Network in the US, and they have exactly the same experience. Okay. Cause we're, cause so we're you saying, haven't what been is... able to separate them out as no, two different cultivars, no.
4: so you can't have one called AFL. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah. And one called FIFA. One, <laughs> yeah, one yeah.
5: called Set Bladders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah dear.
2: The other thing I'm delighted about, Tim, is that um, – uh, Stephen, both you and I participated in the tomato taste. Oh yes. At, yes, is that at, in, at, in here? Yeah. Yes, the winner, pink bumblebee.
4: Oh, well, that was really no, That was that a really was a nice. lovely one. Yes, wasn't I
5: remember it? doing that one. Where is it? Where is it? What page, page for Stephen? Oh, right at the front. All right, here yep. we go. So, yeah, that was part of our. Well, we've been doing these tomato taste tests for. For about
2: three years? Would it oh, well, be? actually, the,
5: the initial ones we did were 20 years ago. Oh, now, really? Really? You know, which was when we first started doing heirloom varieties yep. into the marketplace mm-hmm. in Australia. Okay. And that was when uh, their variety Tommy Toe was yes. our, well, and still is our, and our number winning. one. It, it keep keeps winning. It does win. It just keeps
4: winning. Well, it's a bloody good tomato. It, <laughs> <laughs> it
5: is. It is. It's, so, you know, what more could you ask? It's, in, in fact, it's our benchmark. Anytime. I mean, we. We grow all of these varieties in our trial garden mm. every every year. We've got material in our trial gardens, and we've been doing a lot of tomato work in the last few years. And every year we grow these things, we do an internal taste tests amongst our staff, and we rank them against a, a supermarket hybrid. We rank them against our Tommy Toe as our standard, because mm. we're looking. We don't want to have a hundred different varieties in here. That's because you could. We could. Yeah. We could easily. And <laughs> yeah, could. and they are available. But we're trying to get to the ones that are the ones that are most dependable and we've got done the work on. Yes. So we've done a lot of work on that, getting getting these varieties up um, and then benchmarking them against what we know, Tommy mm. Toe. And, mm. um, and this these, this pink bumblebee, which was one that um, is done really well this year, is a really interesting story. It's um, part of a series of tomatoes that's called the Artisan Series. So these are actually kind of heirlooms of the future for one of a... a yes. they so, really so they're not actually
4: with. an ancient cultivar. They're not, but so. they're,
5: they're open pollinated. Yeah. So, they're, so they're still sort they're of... They're not F1 hybrids. Yeah. They're not modified in yes. any way. They're, they're open pollinated because uh, there's a, a team or a, a movement in the US for open pollination uh, breeders mm. who are taking heirloom stock, heirloom genetics, and in an open pollinated context... Uh, uh, crossing them and breeding with them, okay. and bringing some of these characteristics of of the heirloom's flavour, um, colour, stripe, these sorts of things, into into new creations, yes. if you like. Mm-hmm. We've been, we've been listing for years a variety called Green Zebra, which and Tigerella. Green Zebra is a green one with a with a stripe yep. on it, um, sort of cherry size, uh, and Tigerella similarly both of which are products of Tom Wagner's breeding he was a breeder in the US who had a huge network of um, heirloom contacts mm-hmm. right? so he'd been working with heirloom material for a long time so there's these things are quite exciting because they're giving us the wonderful flavors of of heirlooms yes. giving us those that you know that you just don't get in anything mm. that comes from any commercial Great. supplier in in and but they're highly productive there's new color tones i mean look this this pink bumblebee we score them when we do our um, when we do our taste test. We score on taste, we score on texture, and we also score on appearance. And this one, when it's sliced, it's it's with the sun behind it. Mm. It, it, it sort of glows in the flesh. It's um, sort of yellow. Which makes and no difference once it's in a sandwich. But <laughs> no, no, but but it But it, but it, looks, but it is. It, it does in a salad. For yeah, a test, in a yeah. salad. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, so. You know, now is the time of the year when, you know, it it feels like the middle of winter was spoken about, but this is the time of the year when we start to get our seeds going. Yes. Uh, And and I think, um, you know, I think there's, there's a... We're trying to demystify how people work with seeds. I think seeds are something that... You know, we we talk about mm. the level of experience of people in gardening, and you might start at geranium roseanne, have success there, and then look at what other what yeah. other what else can I do? Mm. Um, we are in our seed catalogues trying to make these things as simple and as accessible to as many people as possible. Mm. Tomatoes are probably one of the easiest ones to grow. You, you know, a little punnet, yeah, they get germinate going. fairly quickly germinate pretty easy. regularly, mm. readily. You know, in a packet of seeds, you'll get you know. Twenty or thirty seed, you don't need twenty or thirty plants. It's actually good value. You'll end up with maybe five or six, even if you kill three quarters of them. Yeah. and if you're starting up, you might, uh, but you'll still get success. Um, so there's there's plenty of scope in here for people to to experiment in that in that true sense of discovery in horticulture with with seeds. Um, tomatoes are a great story. We've actually got some really interesting um, flowers this year. So we're doing, we're seeing, and and we saw this at Mythcus, you know, alongside our our. Uh, pumpkin mountain, there was fields of cornflowers, yeah. and, um, yes. people working with annual flowers. So we're now putting together some collections of meadows and uh, flower collections, which are pretty simple to grow as well. And this is, this, this is probably a bit experimental for people, but if you've got a patch of ground that's um, you know, a couple of metres by a couple of metres and you're looking to play around with some, with some flowers... Um, Perennials are a good way to do it, and you can buy them in plants, but you can also just fill in the gaps by yeah. raking in some meadow flower mm. seeds. Um, we've put together a couple of little collections um, cornfield wildflowers, and, um, I, and some of you may have seen uh, last last two summers at Birurung Ma, there's been a meadow that we've oh, actually um, created. Uh, we've done that with the Melbourne City Council, and we've put these meadows with cornflowers and uh, we've we've had there were some sunflowers involved at the back of that we've had some poppies in there and so we've we've taken those uh, the success we've had with that and put them into some some mixes that are really as easy as just rake the ground sprinkle the seed keep them moist till they start and to come go, yes. and yes. you've got this flower meadow as well yes Fantastic.
4: wonderful mm. okay. we probably should get back to calls we should oh no more jerusalem artichokes oh, we going another to virginia one on jerusalem artichokes October.
0: good morning virginia Oh hello! Look, um, I apologise if this has already been mentioned, but that's all right. Um, Maybe
4: we need to mention it more.
0: <laughs> uh, just a tip about the farting: um, <laughs> if you add a pinch of asafetida to the water, you don't fart.
5: Is that is that generally true? For yeah, I or just about some of these things because some people
4: don't fart anyway when they eat those
5: Yeah,
0: it's true for all beans that you're cooking.
4: Yeah. Oh well, there you go. If you
0: add that. Um, and it works
4: a treat. And where does one get it?
0: In the Indian shops.
4: Ah. What was it called again? Asafadida. No. Just any
0: Indian spice shop will have it. Yes.
4: And that takes away the flatulence.
2: Yeah, all the Indians use it. So, Virginia, do you actually incorporate that when you're cooking them or do you sprinkle it over the top? No, no, when you're cooking. Okay. So just add a little pinch to the soup.
0: yes.
4: All right, you're okay. on. I'll give it a crack next time <laughs> I do some other jokes. We go to the theatre now. <laughs> yeah, we go to the theatre now. Yep. And the other
0: um, question I have is, I just heard you talking about tomatoes. Um, uh, my, I'm growing these um, yellow egg tomatoes, and I'm still getting fruit.
5: Wow.
0: Yeah. Well done. Still flowering. Amazing. Still setting fruit. Still picking fruit. I wonder, can I keep it going? Of course, you can. I'll oh, have a go. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know lots try. of people that have
4: kept tomatoes going year after year off the one plant. So you can. The only issue you might have is that the thing could grow into something <laughs> of a monster.
0: So, okay, I just wondered if maybe it would just be diminished. Not necessarily. No, keep it fed.
5: No, keep it watered. Yep. Yeah. I think the the thing with tomatoes in our in our Climate is that they they it's too cold for them in the winter yeah. typically yeah. and they sort of lose vigor and get ratty and it's basically time to pull them out. But if yours has gone through that this winter and is still going, there's yeah. no reason because most most of the tomatoes that we sell are what's called indeterminate tomatoes, which means yeah. they just keep growing. Mm. So oh, okay. So and if you go to the the glasshouses where they grow all the yeah. the the ones for the supermarket, they're. they're metres and metres and metres oh, yes. long yeah. tied up on wires that move along in the glass house and so yes. they, they will just keep growing
0: yes. oh ok yeah. ok so
5: why not indeed
0: yes I shall try <laughs> alright ok thank you very much
4: that's okay. a pleasure ok
0: bye,
7: bye. Uh,
3: and we'll go straight to Angela in Belgrave good morning Angela
6: good morning everyone morning um, I've got a question about the raspberries we've got one of the varieties which is meant to give two flushes of fruit mm-hmm. Um, but for the last couple of years we haven't been getting our second flush. I'm just wondering if um, okay. I'm not pruning them right or something or they're not getting fed properly.
5: So with the dual croppers, so I guess we just need to tell the, the story a bit to people. So there's there's two types of raspberries. There's what's called a summer crop, an autumn crop, and then, of course, there's the, the rule breaker, the, mm-hmm. which is always the case in horticulture, the dual croppers. the The autumn cropping type to be pruned, you cut them completely back to the ground in the in the winter mm-hmm. they grow all their canes in the first part of summer and then they fruit on the ends of those the the summer type, uh, you leave the canes there, they put a little bit of growth on early in the season and then they fruit on those, hence they have fruit earlier in the season. So with the jewel croppers you kind of have to choose which technique you're going you're mm-hmm. to go with mm-hmm. and you typically you would manage them like the, the summer fruiting type, so that's you, so you leave, you'd leave some the, of the canes the canes yep, and you get a first crop mm-hmm. and then some more growth starts to happen through the season and you can get that to crop. But the thing with the dual croppers is, is you tend to get a lower yield at one end or the other yeah, because yeah, you're be spreading perfect. it across the season. Yeah, uh, so you can't win in every direction. You can't you, you can't have you won't program. get a double crop. Look, and I think the the key to that for me is if 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 it's the only one you've got then you can just tolerate that and have picking over a longer period and just you know just be aware of that fruiting pattern, but if you 've got a few of them you and you 've got some other ones which are summer fruiting already, perhaps create you know make your one make your dual cropper fruit in autumn by cutting it back all right, the way yeah to the well ground.
6: we've got heaps we 've only got the one variety, which is the dual cropper, but we could yeah. have two different spots and just prune them differently so yeah excellent. yeah,
5: that yeah you would can do that and then you'll, then you will get that cropping at both yeah. Yeah. oh
6: excellent that's. Brilliant. Um, just one other really quick question. We've got a um, tortured robinia, a standard one. Oh, yeah. And we were just wondering the best spot, um, best soil requirements and sun requirements and that
4: kind All of right. thing. All right. Well, the rubinia is like lots of sun. Yeah. So open, sunny aspect and good drainage. Anything in the pea family, which they are, mm-hmm. um, they hate wet feet. Okay. So good drainage is important. But apart from that, they're pretty hard to kill. The only thing I'd be very careful of, they're grafted onto an ordinary robinia, and if you damage the roots... Oh, you're in You'll trouble. have suckers coming yeah. up. Oh, yeah. We're all, we're we're you. all nodding yeah. on that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rabinia is a, a group of plants that I have a love-hate relationship mm-hmm. with. If I was planting any, I'd want to have acreage. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they have a vigorous root system, and it's very easy to break the roots on them. The contorted one, because it's a smaller growing head, its root system will probably not be quite as vigorous as the big tree ones would be. Okay. But nonetheless, just be careful you don't damage the roots. Yeah, yeah.
6: We're not usually fans of rabinias ourselves, but the um, the contorted one looks call, we
4: couldn't resist. Yeah, I have to say it is an interesting plant, but having mentioned my contorted camellia and Tim mentioned the contorted filbert, I think the filbert is a far better plant. Yeah, than the we've
6: got, we do have one of the filberts and, and another one um, we're trying to grow
4: from a cutting, so yeah. Yeah, so I think it's a better plant than the rabinia. but anyhow, the robinia is an interesting addition to the contorted plant range. Yeah. Perhaps we should all have our <laughs> contorted gardens. Uh, yeah. There was a famous gardener in England years ago who had a garden he called his Lunatic Asylum. <laughs> And he used to plant all these weird, strange plants into it. And I have visions of doing the same thing one day. And instead of a bird bath, I'd have a chopping block with an axe in it and, <laughs> oh,
6: or a yeah, witch's cauldron the, or something. Um, <laughs> we've got lots of the um, Sephora prostrata, the little babies. Well. Oh, yes. So they look fantastic in the same mm. area too. Okay. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye.
3: Great. And we'll go straight to Judith in Newport. Good morning, Judith. Oh hello! Who am I speaking to? Well, you're speaking to everybody. us all. You're on air. To
0: everybody. Yeah. Oh, all right. Um, I, I want to know when to cut back the canners.
4: Now, if you're in Newport, I'd yes, take them down now, to ground level now. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Okay. And um, oh, uh,
2: dogbane plectranthus. If I want to transplant them, if you want transplant, we we. Uh did you ring in last week? Yes. Right, we've we actually answered all your questions oh. earlier today. You obviously weren't up early wrong. enough. I thought I had to ring back on the internet. No, oh, no, we actually answered them all yeah, but, but nonetheless very quickly. Oh, yes, quickly.
4: Yeah, uh if you were going to shift the if you're going to shift Plectranthus, I'd yes. wait till the, the worst of the winter's over.
0: Yes.
4: And then shift them then
0: frost, I suppose.
4: Well, in Newport do. you wouldn't get too many frosts. As no, no, uh, no. So the, the soil yeah, starts to warm up. Yeah, Some but they the will hit the ground running if you, if yeah, you move them when okay. the ground's starting to warm.
0: Yeah, and the lambs
4: ears. Oh, you can do that now.
0: Yes, okay. And gazinias
4: well, you could divide them up, I suppose. Any time, any time, mm. pretty well. But you know, yeah. you could do them now if you wanted to. I mean, yes. it, it wouldn't matter. You could divide yes. them up and replant I them. I want to
0: give some to my daughter, and I've got many. Yeah. <laughs> you well, yeah, you know, get
4: in there with a the spade yeah, and dig yeah, it up yes, and dig I up a big clump. So oh, yes. just, oh well,
0: yeah. yes. Anyway, I'm sorry I got it all wrong. That's, That's all good right. Good. Got it all right now. Anyway, <laughs> yes. Anyway, it's a great program. Really okay, enjoy thank it. you. Okay. Bye bye. Thanks, panel.
7: Bye. All right, right. and
0: let's
3: go straight to Peter in East Malvern. Good morning, Peter.
7: Good morning, all. Uh, Last week I used a cupric hydroxide solution uh, on the peach tree. The directions on the packet says that the solution, uh, which I had to reconstitute, must be used within hours. I was wondering, uh, I've still got uh, some left, uh, some of the solution, and wondering uh, what happens if i use it does it uh, just not as effective or
4: i think that's the truth i think that's what it's all about it will lose its its efficacy uh, as time goes on yeah. so it should be used when it's fresh but so, you you probably so won't do any anything. harm but whether you'll actually do what you wanted to do with it is a moot point which yeah. i presume is for leaf curl is that leaf what... curl that's yeah. correct yep yep yeah, so, look, if you've still got something in the container, it won't do any harm to spray it around. Yeah. But, you know, it's probably better to use it fresh whenever you've mixed it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thanks
7: a lot. Yeah, okay. It's a pleasure, Peter. Bye.
2: Now, I need to remind all our listeners that uh, we still have quite a lot of product left over from our oh. Radiothon. We've got I've got a van outside. <laughs> <laughs> we have um, a huge number of books and we've actually reduced the price of these again so you can really pick up some fantastic bargains. Um, we also have a lot of vouchers left, including three gardening consultations. So we have a, a consultation with Graham Peterson, one with Loretta Childs, and one with Yvette G- 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 Gorovich.
3: Gorovich.
2: Um Now these are these are I mean they, these people They're are prepared fortune. to come out to your garden, yeah. <clears throat> um, give advice on whatever you need, whether it's 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 what to do with your soils, whether it's design ideas. Um, they'll come out now for a hundred dollars. That is fantastic for them to spend a couple of hours in your garden. I wouldn't um, do
4: it for that. No,
2: exactly. <laughs> and they're all they're all experts. I know them all personally. Loretta Childs is a,
3: a wonderful landscape designer. Um, she focuses mostly on native gardens and uses a lot of recycled um, heavy timbers and huge boulders. So. Just that really um, sort of great bush garden look. Um, Graham Peterson is a bush ecologist and if you've got a a large block that needs some weed management or something like that or you've got a creek line that, you know, maybe some weeds are getting away from you, um, Graham is definitely the person. They're both in the northeast suburbs and um, Yvette is a um, landscape designer and she um, is Daninong based um, she works down that area so if you're after someone to just to get a bit of advice if you're thinking of putting in a new garden and you just want to run a few ideas past someone Yvette would be a fantastic person to
2: get onto. Now what we're doing these um, you can of course during office hours during the week you can phone the office on our normal number 94198377 and speak to one of the members of staff but we're also we've loaded all of these up onto the website so if you just go to 3cr.org.au um and click on shop we've actually loaded up all the all the um, the titles of the books um, all the vouchers. Oh, they fantastic. also in- include mm. some of the nursery vouchers that are available or if you still like to pick up some uh, some other garden product like um, we've still got some bags of food if WD, I have to spell that that out for people to understand. FUD with the yes, but
4: with the omelets. With the (laughs) (laughs)
2: omelets, but uh, but we also have a lot of other product there too, all sorts of different fertilisers and product for the garden. So uh, so do either give us a call or, as I say, you can go to the website now and. uh, Click on shop, uh, which is on the very front page of the website, and uh, take it from there. But, uh, of course, we need to clear all this product out of the station because it's taking up room. We yes. need the courtyard and, back. Yeah. And we also need the money as part yeah, of our Radiothon mm-hmm. to uh, to keep us going for the next 12 months, mm-hmm. uh, covering all the station's radio costs and because it is an expensive thing to run a radio station. and
4: it certainly is. And we Even all though you get us for nothing. <laughs> absolutely
2: get us for nothing every week. But, yeah. um, yes, we, we if, if you need any other product, if you want some gifts to give away, as I say, the cost has been reduced, so do think of us. We've actually run out of can time. Can I just
4: quickly, quickly make sure. an ad? If yeah. anybody's thinking about buying a tree peony at the moment, my nursery is groaning <laughs> under them. Oh. I've got something like 50 different varieties available. Wow. Wow. Um, some Japanese tree peonies, uh, American Saunders hybrids, the whole range. So if anybody wants a tree peony, come and see me at the nursery.
2: Okay. And, Tim, that offer again quickly for listeners? If
5: you email diggers on, on, it's info at diggers.com.au uh, and just mention that you heard this this program on 3CR, with your name and address, we'll send you a seed annual. Fantastic. Fantastic.
2: That's brilliant. A big thank you to the whole team. Um, Uh, Also to Virginia, who's been doing all the uh, hard work on the phones. We'll be back, of course, at 7.30 next week. Until then, bye for now.
6: You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.